Welcome to CineStudy, an incomparable extravaganza featuring film breakdown, analysis, and overall good times. The website we use for our cool text-to-speech voice before every episode no longer exists. This is our 22nd episode, La La Land. Hello everyone, welcome back to CineStudy. This is episode 20, oh yeah, another little milestone there. And uh, today we have an extended episode, extended analysis episode for you guys, and that is going to be 2016's La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Yes, maybe this is a bit off the beaten path for movies I usually watch, uh, but this movie, there's a lot I want to get off my chest about it, so uh, here we are today to cover it. In typical CineStudy fashion, this episode will be divided into both spoiler-free and spoiler-full sections. I'll denote that time in the show notes slash show description down below, so you know you can check that out. But that means you can listen to this episode both before and after viewing La La Land, or in one fell swoop if you've already seen the movie. Or if you don't care about the spoilers, you can also just listen to that section. I don't really care. But with that being said, let's get into the IMDb plot synopsis as usual. While navigating their careers in Los Angeles, a pianist and an actress fall in love while attempting to reconcile their aspirations for the future. Note, pianist. I, I, I made sure to pronounce that very clearly. Okay, that's your general idea. Not much to say. It's, a, it's about two people. They fall in love. It's a musical rom-com kind of, kind of situation here. And I, I don't know, rom-com was a really poor choice of words there. But, you know, you'll see how it goes. Uh, when I get into the kind of plot and spoilerful section and all that, I'm sure most of you know this movie. With that being said, let's go into the crash course then. All right, this movie is classified as a comedy, a drama, musical, and a romance all in one on IMDb. Pretty fitting. It is currently rated PG-13. I don't know why I said currently. It's probably always going to be rated PG-13. It is two hours and eight minutes long. And that's really it for uh, the, the kind of dumb statistics I like to throw out there. This movie currently holds an 8.0 out of 10 on IMDb, which is pretty solid. That's, that's, you know, that's a sign of a pretty good, well-received movie on IMDb. This movie garnered 14 Oscar nominations, and we're going to go through those really quickly here. We've got Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures' original song for Audition, a.k.a. The Fools Who Dream. Justin Hurwitz did that one, sung by Emma Stone. Best Achievement in Sound Editing, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, Best Achievement in Costume Design, Best Achievement in Film Editing, Best Original Screenplay for Damien Chazelle, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Ryan Gosling, Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Achievement in Production Design, and Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, Original Song, City of Stars, Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, Original Score, Best Achievement in Cinematography, Best Achievement in Directing for Damien Chazelle, and also Cinematography was Linus Sandgren and Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Emma Stone. And it won six of those. It won Emma Stone for Best Actress. It won Damien Chazelle for Directing. It won Linus Sangren Cinematography One. You've got Original Score, win. You've got Original Song in City of Stars, win. Production Design, win. And then we move on to the Golden Globes, where it won Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. It won Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, Ryan Gosling. Emma Stone won for the same category for Actresses. Best Director, Damien Chazelle won. Best Screenplay, Damien Chazelle won. Best Original Song, City of Stars won. And Best Original Score, Justin Hurwitz won. Not as many nominations, but it won all of them. Won a ton of BAFTA stuff, too. I don't really care for BAFTA or any of the other awards things besides Golden Globes and Oscars. But that is pretty insane, how many things it was nominated for and how many things it won. I'm pretty sure it set some sort of record, but, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Let's just move on from that. All right, this movie, as mentioned, is kind of a musical. This movie was a bit off the wall at the time. For this kind of old Hollywood feeling, you know, just this kind of, it looks very, you know, enthusiastic, bright, 
glitzy kind of uh is glitzy a word what am i saying like like glittery and i don't know i'm kind of missing the word there but you know it it was it's kind of a, a movie that doesn't really fall into a category of today it's very old hollywood in a sense and uh that's something we'll definitely talk about a little bit later on all right let's talk about the kind of writer director actor and actress history before we get into some of the fun facts and then we'll move on from crash course because it's not a category of this show that i really like to talk about all that much but you know we won't talk about that Ryan Gosling, right in the thick of his career, he's still going strong, and this movie was just kind of a string of good ones for him. He's one of my favorite actors. I think I've mentioned that before, and a lot of people might give me some hate for that, but man, this man can act. I mean, when you see the stuff he does, whether it be La La Land or The Notebook, where he's playing, you know, La La Land, this very charismatic figure, then you got this kind of more romantic figure in The Notebook, then you got the nice guys where he's just filled with comedy, same with The Big Short, the serious kind of side of him with Drive and Place Beyond the Pines and First Man. This guy has really done a little bit of everything, and uh, I, I think he is supremely underrated. Uh, but in terms of the movies he had done, he had done a ton of stuff by the time he got around La La Land. La La Land is one of his highest rated things on IMDb in terms of movies. It is second only to Blade Runner, even though they have the same score. But yeah, he has done a ton of stuff, and for him, he was kind of in a career prime here. But at the same time, he hadn't done a lot of, you know, singing and dancing, I would say, and neither had Emma Stone. So those th- those two kind of took a turn with this uh, this pick, and, uh, you know, not too much to say about that until the action section. Emma Stone, also kind of in the thick of her career, she had been doing a lot of stuff, whether it be Birdman, which I think she's fantastic in. She had been doing the Spider-Man movie. She did The Help a few years before. Easy A, Crazy Stupid Love. Lots of Lots of movies you know Emma Stone from. Uh, and this was, again, you know, this was one of her more recent ones, if you now look. She's done Battle of the Sexes and The Favorite since then, as well as some TV stuff. But uh, she is, she's been doing a lot of good stuff, I, I gotta say. Emma Stone, pretty strong in the realm of acting. And, uh, yeah, she's been in a lot of hits, I would say. I mean, with the exception of a couple things she made some cameos in and uh, movie 43s thrown in there. But, there, there, I mean, she's had some good performances out there, so uh, this was just kind of her adding on to that. But this was kind of the first thing that generated a lot more awards buzz. Birdman started to as a supporting actress bid, but La La Land is like, whoa, Emma Stone, where'd you come from? Again, she had not really sung or danced too much before that either. So, you know, interesting. All right, let's talk about Damien Chazelle, the man himself, wrote and directed this. This, man's, this man is, is just a legend, in my opinion. I mean, if you look at his credits, he not only, let, let's look at just his writing first. He wrote Whiplash. He wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he wrote La La Land. I mean, that's pretty solid right there. That's a, that's, those are three really strong movies. He directed Whiplash. He directed La La Land, and he's since directed First Man. Basically, he's gone three for three on successful movies, and that's a really— I mean, he's just on a hot streak. Talk about hot streaks. That's a hot streak. Whiplash, La La Land, First Man all garnered both popular and critical praise. Uh, First Man kind of took a dip, but that's what's interesting is he didn't write it, so maybe we see where his strength starts to lie is writing and directing. Although 10 Cloverfield Lane makes exception to that. He wrote it, didn't direct it. It's really good. Oh, that actually doesn't make exception to it. He, he wrote and direct, He just wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane and didn't direct it. That did pretty well. So maybe we see that writing is where his true talent lies, or maybe that's where he kind of generates the best of himself. But, I mean, First Man is apparently still pretty well directed. So, you know, that's something I got I to make a judgment on eventually. But Damon Chazelle, for being a pretty young, up-and-coming kind of director and writer, I mean, he's doing, he's doing big things. I've also always wondered how he, like, how, how does someone do this? He made, like, one short film of Whiplash before he just went on and made Whiplash. Like, 
what? Like, how do you, <laughs> this, is, this is another thing. You just made like a short film of Whiplash and suddenly he's getting, you know, like nice casting, nice budget, everything for a Oscar buzz movie. I mean, this, this guy really came out of left field and you got to give him props for that. And this is just kind of him right in the middle or not even right in the start of his career is La La Land. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. A movie that generated that much uh, buzz. All right, let's read some fun facts, kind of trivia, wrap this section of the episode up. Uh, here's kind of the most interesting one to me. Emma Watson was going to play Mia in La La Land, but turned it down because of the live-action Beauty of the Beast, so Emma Stone comes in. Uh, but we do have Ryan Gosling was going to be the Beast, and he turned that down to be in La La Land. So kind of a little flip there where we could have had uh, you know, Ryan Gosling and Emma Watson be the Beast, Ryan Gosling and Beauty and the Beast and not Emma Watson, Emma Watson and La La Land, not Ryan Gosling, Emma Watson and Ryan Gosling. You never know. So this was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, and I, I think I think they landed on the right choices. We'll talk about that later. Apparently, Ryan Gosling was able to play all the piano sequences in this movie by actually learning to play the piano after these tracks had been recorded. So, you know, props for him for doing that pretty quickly. Apparently, he spent two hours a day, six days a week, learning the music by heart. Emma Stone performed the song The Fools Who Dream live in the movie, uh, and she would switch from dialogue to singing. She basically decided that on her own. Uh, she just sang it. There was apparently Justin Hurwitz, the composer, was playing piano in her ear, and uh, this allowed Emma con- Emma wa- this allowed Emma Stone more control over the scene. I think it sells it more. I know A Star Is Born did this, where it was ma- it was actually them singing, and they didn't dub things over, and it just makes it more it just feels more real, and I I really appreciate that. John Legend makes an appearance in this movie, and was apparently jealous of how quickly Ryan Gosling learned to play piano. John Legend learned to play the guitar for this role, and apparently the opening number, which takes place on like an LA free LA freeway freeway, was filmed at 109 degrees Fahrenheit in two days. Apparently, this just this just was horrible to try and film, uh, but you know they did. Really extensive choreography and uh, very extensive camera mapping, I'm sure, to get this sequence done. And uh, they uh, they did pretty well. Mandy Moore was hiding behind a car, beneath a car, uh, so that she could yell instructions without being seen. But just think of that. You're dancing on top of cars on a freeway in 109 degrees. That is just brutal. La La Land also broke the record. I mentioned this. They broke the record for the most Golden Globe Awards with seven wins. This beat One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Midnight Express. Uh, this was the other thing. Miles Teller was originally going to play Ryan Gosling's uh, uh, character. This this would have been a horrible move, in my opinion. But we'll, uh, I, I won't. Why would I say we'll talk about this later? I will talk about this. I will talk about this later because I'll talk about the uh, the um, the recast at, at the end of the acting section. Originally, this was going to be Damien Chazelle's first movie. There was a demand for a lot of script changes, so they were like, all right, let's not make this movie. He made Whiplash instead, and sure enough, this movie was then resurrected. This currently shares the record with for most Oscar nominations with Titanic and All About Eve. Uh, this is 14, and this is also the only of that three to then not win Best Picture. All right, I think this is it. I don't want to talk about anything else. No more, uh, no more, no more fun fun facts i think we can just uh we can just go on to uh the next section which is act all right so besides ryan gosling and emma stone there's not too many characters in this movie just a couple side characters we'll talk about them later on but let's just start with the main two let's start with emma stone my aunt used to live in paris i remember she used to come home and she would tell us stories about being abroad and I remember she told us that she jumped into the river 
once. Barefoot. She smiled. Left. Without looking. And tumbled into the sand. The water was freezing. She spent a month sneezing, but said she would do it again. Here's to the ones who dream foolish. Emma Stone winning Best Actress for this performance. And I don't really know who she was against, and I don't feel like looking that up right now. But I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised she won this. And, and, and the, the way the Oscars usually run, this is a surprising performance for them to pick. But I'm definitely not going to say it's undeserving. Emma Stone gives a really, really strong performance here. And of the movies I've seen with Emma Stone, it might be her best. I think she's really good in Birdman, but this might edge that out. And uh, I, I think, she, she, first of all, she put a lot of effort into learning to sing and dance. And of the people who don't normally sing and dance, she, she probably sings the best. Um, we'll talk about Ryan Gosling later. I, I think she's she's doing all right with the singing. Her dancing is pretty pretty solid. Both of those things are just passable. You know, they could have cast someone from Broadway, but you know th- that's not how Hollywood works. But I think you know with with what what they ca- like with her being cast in this movie, I think she did a good job of playing that role. She gave a lot of emotional weight to to some big emotional scenes. As well as some great comedy, and I, I think especially the kind of emotion. There is a couple of just super dramatic scenes that she and Ryan Gosling just nail. And so I got to give them credit for balancing a lot of different emotions in this movie. Uh, that's something that's that's kind of fun to watch, as well as incorporating singing, dancing. I mean, the, the, the actors are doing a lot in this movie. And uh, at the same time, the, these characters could have been very, very boring characters, even with the writing. I don't think they're written in the most you know, like, stellar way. They both kind of push each other, like, the the kind of dynamic between them, I think, is entirely carried by the performances in this movie, not really at all the writing. I think if you take just some kind of standard, mediocre actors and put them in these roles, these characters are really boring to watch, and the kind of emotional weight of a lot of things that happen in the second half of the movie, it, it just goes out the window. But these two actors make you believe in their kind of relationship, their romance, even if, you know, it's not a super unique development or anything like that. It's a pretty by-the-numbers, okay, two people meet, two people gradually get to know each other. You know, it's not done in a particularly impressive, over-the-top way or anything like that. But the actors make it so that it is pretty impressive because they just develop such a unique persona, a persona that's missing from the writing largely. A lot. Of, I know there's a lot of ad-libbing in this movie, for one thing. And I also know that there's just scenes that are pretty straightforward kind of plot scenes that the actors really make something out of. So I think this is a movie more so than a lot of the other movies I've talked about on here where uh, it's not so much the writing that has done a good job of creating the characters, but I think the actor and the actress have done a really good job of of developing and fleshing out the characters. Because like I said, I think these characters could have been really boring. I think everything's written in a very straightforward way in a lot of these scenes where they're kind of developing their relationship so the actors really take it to the next level. So yeah, Emma Stone, really solid performance here. 
All right, let's go on to Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I love me some Ryan Gosling, and he is also pretty solid in this movie. You know, I just think that people, when they say that they, you know, hate jazz, they just, they don't have context. They don't know where it comes from. You know, jazz was born in a little flop house in New Orleans, and it just, because people were crammed in there, they spoke five different languages, they couldn't talk to each other. The only way they could communicate was with jazz. You know, what about Kenny G? What? What about Kenny G? Saying it's not stuff. relaxing. It's not. It's not. Sidney Bechet shot somebody because they told him he played a wrong note. That's hardly relaxing. As I have mentioned before, Ryan Gosling has got some like superb comedic talent, and it really shows in some of these scenes where he's just kind of having some fun back and forth with Emma Stone. That's something he's really nailed in this movie. Uh, his dancing's pretty good, but his singing is eh at the best. I don't know. They, I think his singing is okay in some songs and, and not so great in others. He doesn't really blow me out of the water. So, you know, that's not something that I, I, I can't say that tanks the film or anything like that. But like I said, maybe you cast some Broadway people in this movie. It's like whole new levels. But I think the, the director had to make a choice. Do you want really good singing acting that is, uh, you know, Broadway level? Or do you want, uh, sorry, do you want really good singing dancing that is Broadway level? Or do you want acting that is Hollywood level? I think Broadway and Hollywood acting are two very distinct, like, very distinct things. I'm not saying one is better than, than the other. I'm saying when you're on, uh, when you're in theater, you're performing a lot more over the top because you have to project, you have to really sell your emotions and your gestures. You can't be subtle with everything because you are far from the audience. You are not zoomed in and close up on the audience. So, you know, when you're acting in a movie, you can be a lot more subtle, and that's, you know, the way that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are kind of trained and so I think the kind of decision here is, like, do you want over-the-top acting that comes with theater, which is something I've seen in Hugh Jackman in some of his dramatic performances. Like, okay, yeah, this is a theater guy. And then you've got kind of the more uh, subtle is probably the best word you can use uh, for the screen kind of acting. And so I think they just kind of had to make that decision. And I think, uh, you know, either way, it probably would have worked out. Here, you know, Ryan Gosling's not the best singer, but not the hugest of deals. But his, his character is really fun. Again, he makes his character very, very fun to watch, very enthusiastic. He learned how to play the piano. That's a really big strength in this movie. Uh, hit, whenever Ryan Gosling as Sebastian is playing, I should have mentioned uh, Emma Stone as Mia, Ryan Gosling as Sebastian. Whenever he's playing the piano, those are really good scenes. And I just think uh, that, that he really develops his character well. And this is a movie that is entirely car- carried by the two lead performances. This movie does not have much of an ensemble where like something like The Big Short did, where everybody was building towards this really awesome holistic performance product. Uh, it's not like throwing it on the back like Bronson did, but it is pretty much just like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. That's the movie. And so I think, you know, you got to give them credit for that, uh, developing their characters very interestingly. And also, again, Ryan Gosling, let me just kind of go back to the topic at hand. I think he does pretty well. I think he's got that kind of enthusiasm. He's also got that drama, that subtle Ryan Gosling drama that I really have come to like from Drive and Place Beyond the Pines. The kind of more serious Ryan Gosling who can really convey a lot of emotion with very, very, very slight expression. And I, I think that kind of works its way into this. He's a bit more expressive in some parts, but I think uh, you kind of get that st- stoic nature of him a little bit mixed in here along with the uh, kind of just fun, fun... Uh, the fun comedic sides of him. So I think both these performances are very well-rounded and uh, both deserve a lot of the praise they were getting, especially when I think these characters could have been very boring in anybody else's hands. 
right, there's really not too many other actresses to mention. I believe Callie Hernandez, Jessica Roth, and Sonia, I, I think it's pronounced Sonia, or uh, it's, I wouldn't think it'd be pronounced Sonoya, but that's how it's spelled. But it, uh, Sonoya, uh, Sonia, Sonia Mizuno. Uh, I think those are the three who play the roommates to Emma Stone. They're in one of the musical numbers. They're fine. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really care for them that much. In fact, I think their, uh, their acting was a little bit like, eh, I don't know. It, it didn't really sell me on their characters, but they're very, very minor. Uh, there's this guy named Jason Fuchs who plays this kind of funny writer. He's in there for like three seconds, but I thought he was pretty funny. Finn Whitrock is, uh, is in this movie from The Big Short. Plays Emma Stone's uh, former boyfriend before the Ryan Gosling ordeal. He's fine. He's basically not in this movie at all. John Legend. John Legend's pretty good. I mean, uh, he's not given much. He's not needed much. So I think he just kind of fills his role, uh, you know, satisfactorily. And does that make uh, Finn Whitrock the first repeat actor? It, it might. I don't think I, I, I. Oh no, Ryan Gosling was also in The Big Short. What am I? What am I saying? Uh, so you know, we got that going for us. Rosemary DeWitt plays Laura, who is uh, Ryan Gosling, Sebastian's sister. She's fine in the scene she's in as kind of this like lazy sister who uh, is kind of kind of does some exposition dumping for us at the beginning of this movie. I think she's fine. And the last performance is J.K. Simmons. Uh, he's fine. Like I literally was watching this. I'm like, I can't even talk about this. Like Whiplash is like that. You can't even compare this with Whiplash. I don't know why I was even thinking that, but I'm like, I can only see this guy as whiplash guy as as uh, Fletcher so I was kind of watching this like this is weird he's not screaming at Ryan Gosling right now he's just being like a formal person but I uh, I mean he was fine literally he has one part where he just has to dance for like half a second and it is not that good <laughs> it was actually kind of funny I was like come on JK I believe in you you can you can snap a little better next time but you know that what am, what am I even talking about why am I even talking about all these other performances that aren't Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone let's move on okay no more we've talked about the acting Ensemble effect. I think the ensemble effect in this movie is basically just, I guess you can talk about the dancing. There's really only two big numbers. That is the opening number and the uh, second number, which would be Another Day of Sun and Someone in the Crowd. Both are really solid. Um, uh, Another Day of Sun has really grown on me. The first time I saw it, I'm like, bro, this is cheesy. This is really cheesy. What in the world? And that now it's kind of growing me. It was stuck in my head for a while, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's pretty good. I watched it again. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is pretty sweet. A lot of the choreography of that is pretty awesome. As well as the uh, just just the people who are doing it, they they just look like they're having a, a fun time, and uh, so I got to give credit to those dancers. As well as yes, yeah, someone in the crowd when when they're all dancing around the pool, man, there's just some energy in that scene, and I love it. As well as the part before they're dancing around the pool where they're all in like slow motion, but it's not actually in slow motion; they're just doing like slow movements. Pretty sweet, except for the one guy that keeps blinking. I'm like, dude, stop! You're supposed to be frozen. Unbelievable, but you know who cares. All right, so yeah, ensemble really just applies to the dancing, and I think that's pretty good. I think the dancing and the singing in those first two scenes is pretty awesome looking back on it. First time I watched it, I'm like, this is not good. What in the world am I watching? Why am I watching this right now? But now it has grown to me, and I don't know why. Maybe I'll try to reason that out in the spoiler full section. But, uh, but for now, yeah, I think it's pretty solid. Which means it's time to go on to a best performance, and it's really just like, who did I like better, Emma Stone or Ryan Gosling? And I'm going to say Emma Stone. She has a lot more emotional weight to her character that she performs extremely well, as well as some great comedy. I think the emotional side of her in this movie is what really carries it, whether it be the argument kind of at dinner or uh, a scene where she is back home. She's left L.A. for a little while. Uh, just There's lots of, of really great dramatic moments from her. Ryan Gosling is just pretty almost up there, you know, just great fun to watch. Again, he's so fun to watch on screen. 
both of them do pretty well with the singing and dancing, so you got to give them credit for that. But I'm going to give Emma Stone the uh, the best performance here. I think she really puts a lot of this movie on her back. I think the main focus of this movie, even though it's kind of two storylines running in tandem, like Sebastian's story, Mia's story, I think it's more Mia's story, and she really elevates that beyond a very basic, oh, I'm a struggling actress who wants to find success story. So good job, Emma Stone. Worst performance, there's there's no need to give one here. There's really very few other performances, especially any that are uh, worth talking about. So you know, we're not going to do that. Recast. Okay, so would I recast anyone? Like I said, maybe you stick some Broadway people in this. I don't even know too many Broadway people. I think they do just fine. Maybe their acting's a little bit different. Maybe their acting's not as good because it's a bit more uh, over-animated in a movie where there, where subtlety really shines in a lot of these scenes. But uh, I, I think, you know, I think the performances are pretty good as they are. Um, I could see Hugh Jackman playing this part, though, because his Broadway thing has kind of toned down over the years. But he would not fit this character at all. Like, he's just, he, he has the skill set for it, but not the the persona for it, I think, and not the uh, the kind of actual person of this young jazz musician. It's it's probably not going to be Hugh Jackman. Um I could not see Emma Watson playing this character. I'm very glad it's Emma Stone. And I certainly could not see my, my imagine Miles Teller tap dancing and singing. Like what what are we talking about? Like no, I really don't want to see that at all. So I, I would say uh I, I would say <laughs> I would say they landed on some good people uh at the end of the day because I just I can't imagine too many other people playing those roles. Uh everybody on this show knows well maybe they don't. I can't think of how much I've talked about this, but everybody knows how much I like Jake Gyllenhaal. He can sing. I've seen him sing. He's been in Broadway stuff. He was in Little Shop of Horrors. I could maybe, maybe, this is kind of a stretch, maybe see him playing Sebastian, but I don't know. I, I really think at the end of the day, they came down on the right people. I just can't think of, of too many other people who could play these roles. I mean, I, I, just nothing jumps to mind. Now, the way Bradley Cooper did in A Star is Born, as I hear, he can sing, and uh, maybe he could play this part, but Ryan Gosling still has kind of the persona that I think fits this character better. I think Ryan Gosling was probably the right choice, and I think as far as actresses go, Emma Watson was also the right choice. Sorry, Emma. St- I think Emma Stone was probably the right choice. Yeah, just not too many people jumped to mind. Recast is going to be a lot of like, okay, yeah, duh, I really would have liked to see this person here instead. But I think everybody was cast pretty well in this movie. I, I think that's uh, not a huge qualm. Okay, that means it's time to move on to directing which means not too specific on scenes, overall style, pace, composition, and would I choose someone else to direct this? Okay, I've heard people say, I want Baz Luhrmann to direct this. We're going to look at recast for a second here. I cannot stand Baz Luhrmann's direction. I just can't. It's so over the top, so unnecessarily flashy. I would absolutely despise if Baz Luhrmann was doing this movie. So we're going to just leave it at that. All right, now let's actually talk about Damien Chazelle, the man himself who I touched on earlier. Damien Chazelle nails it here. First of all, the emotional scenes are just done exquisitely. Like I said, the argument scene at dinner is one of the better scenes of pure dialogue I've seen in a long time. Uh, As far as the dance and singing goes, I know that wasn't really him, but I'm sure he still had a big hand in it. So I think, you know, the the overall composition of, of, you know, the long one take of Another Day of Sun, this kind of long one take with really cool camera movement, great dancing, all that. A lot of that, you know, goes to the camera operator, the the cinematographer, uh, and as well as Mandy Moore. But Damien Chazelle obviously had a hand in that. And honestly, he wor- and actually he worked with Justin Hurwitz a lot on some of the, the tracks. So, you know, you got to give him credit for that. I think he did a pretty good job there. But again, 
there's just great kind of looks to this movie. And I'll talk about this more later on with kind of the 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 colors of this movie, the the shots of this movie, a lot of that cinematography stuff. But man, this movie has a really unique look. Every dance number, every every song has a very like uh, very fun, unique news backdrop to it, and I think that's really captured well. Uh, with again, just great colors. This movie really shines in the realm of color, and uh, I, I think that's a pretty sweet thing about it. This movie's style is very, very uh, kind of glamoury at the beginning for the first half, kind of this old Hollywood nostalgic feel, and then it kind of hits a turning point in the second half where it takes this much more. Uh, it's kind of a smoother feel, not as not as flashy feel. Uh, a lot more development of the characters in a lot of ways, and uh, a lot more drama begins to unfold. Everything slows down a bit, and I think that's a really good... Uh, I think the second half of this movie really excels way more than the first half. I think Damien Chazelle's... Fr- like, the first half of this movie was almost Damien Chazelle saluting Hollywood, saying, like, you know what, I love these kind of classic movies, and I'm going to make one on my own. And for me, it doesn't land entirely. It lands... It, you know, it gets there, and it's grown on me. Uh, but we'll talk about that later, but... I mean, this could be a catchphrase, by the way, on this show by now. Gosh, I'll talk about that later. I feel like I say that every other sentence because I'm waiting to get to the spar full section to talk about stuff. Um, let me know about that if you have a better idea than than just delaying a lot of this stuff to spar full. But, um, I mean, yeah, I think there's just a really fun style to the first half that it's not perfect, but I think it's definitely unique. That uh, It's something that a lot of directors would have just ignored and just made a very basic dance number, but this has a lot of you know, just look, fun look to it with the the colors, the camera movements are unique. I mean, I, I think it, everything in the first half is made very, very over-the-top purposefully, and I think it, it, it's, it you know, it lands almost. And uh, the second half is where I think Damon Chazelle really shines in terms of just slowing things down, slowing down his shots, slowing down the scenes and the dialogue that he wrote, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, I mean, yeah, so I think that's that's where this really kind of uh, uh, succeeds, in my opinion, is is having just a really, you know, unadulterated, fun first half, and then taking that pace, stretching it out, you know, taking that style, easing it back, keeping the colors and stuff, but easing back on the flashiness, and, uh, and, and just, you know, putting together a really fun first half and a really emotionally heavy second half. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a really tough feat to do uh, without it being super noticeable of, oh, this plot just took a really... Uh, decisive twist halfway through or man this the feeling of this movie the composition just took a very decisive change halfway through it can be noticeable but I think in this movie it's not as noticeable as you know other movies that I uh, could allude to so I think yeah I think you know nice job there blending the two halves a little bit in the middle there and uh, especially you compare the opening scene to the closing scene how distinct they are in tone and mood you got to give credit for Damien Chazelle for making that shift and making it pretty nicely, as much as I prefer the second half to the first half. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think he does a good job showing off his chops on both his emotional, dramatic chops, as well as just his fun, you know, let's make a really exciting movie uh, chops. All right, let's talk about the writing of La La Land. So La La Land, like I said, has very basic story elements, I think, with some of the kind of, you know, arcs of Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling's characters of Sebastian and Mia. So it, it could have very easily been a, a very stale concept, a very stale structure to this movie, a very stale scene before uh, kind of growth of these two characters, development of these characters. And I, you know, I, I think it's owed a lot to the actors, as mentioned, for carrying that kind of development. But, you know, the writing's not all that bad. I think there's some great kind of uh, enthusiasm in the lines. 
uh, of just kind of nailing natural conversation. I think Damien Chazelle is very good at that in this movie of, because uh, I, I, I think I've mentioned Damien Chazelle is the writer of this movie. I think it has very, very natural dialogue that kind of encapsulates this this uh, romantic growth between uh, Sebastian and Mia. It is, again, a very basic development of that. It's nothing uh, exceptionally unique, in my opinion. It's like, oh, we meet on a convenience at first we don't like each other. Uh, oh, we meet on a coincidence as first we don't like each other. Uh, but, you know, naturally we learned that, uh, you know, we're not too different and uh, they eventually fall in love. Like, you know, that writing is, is fairly, fairly uh, you know, seen before, as I said. But, but again, it should be pointed out that it's still two pretty unique characters that are fun to watch. Again, I think that is owed a lot to the actors, but the writing is certainly not bad. Uh, if you talk about the writing of, like, the actual blocking of this movie is really good. I mean, I know Mandy Moore did the choreography, but just the kind of set pieces Damien Chazelle desi- decides to put in this movie for certain numbers and stuff like that for doing, you know, the planetarium sequence or the L.A. freeway sequence. I think that's very smart writing. It made some very fun scenes with the musical numbers. Um, I think the end is very, very, very well written for it to unfold the way it does. But I don't want to talk about that quite yet, obviously. Yeah, I think you just kind of get some witty dialogue. I think there is a bit of, you know, a little cliched, not my favorite dialogue from some of the side characters, um, you know, like some of Emma Stone's roommates, um, but I, it's it's really not that big of a deal. Pretty much all the dialogue comes, all the writing comes from uh, creating the arcs of these characters, arcs that have been seen before, but arcs that are done in a, you know, a, a pretty fun way with just, you know, the fun tones of this movie that are harnessed through other elements of making a movie. So, you know, the writing's not bad, it's nothing great, uh, it's certainly not as good to me as the writing of Whiplash from Damien Chazelle. But, you know, again, I think uh, it, it, there's definitely some some very fun sequences in that movie, in this movie that Damien Chazelle has laid out. And also just the story itself, again, it is very much uh, uh, spelling out messages and just showing a kind of circumstance and arc that we've, we've definitely heard of before, we've seen before. Um, another romantic movie comes to mind that I don't want to say the name of, um, just because if you know that movie, then it kind of spoils uh, some of this movie. But, you know, I, I think, you know, even with some of the basic concepts that factor in this movie, they're all done in a pretty fun light, mainly through the direction of Damien Chazelle, more so than the original writing, uh, mainly through, you know, the choreography, mainly through the development of the music, the score, all of that. But, you know, this is, is by no means a poorly written movie, so I got to give it credit for a pretty good screenplay. And it should be mentioned, a lot of this dialogue, like I said, is, is you know, fun back and forth and fairly natural, so, you know, always got to give it credit for that. All right, let's talk about the cinematography of La La Land. I mentioned the name of the cinematographer before, but I do not have the means to look it up right now as I film this little segment, so I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, the cinematography in this movie, it's pretty good. I I mean, there is just some expertly laid out shots here. Uh, I think Damon Chazelle had a lot to do with with this, more so than the DOP did on a lot of these things. Um, But, you know, each musical sequence just looks extraordinary due to the, uh, you know, various shots that are used as well as the colors that come into play, which kind of bleeds into this, as well as, you know, VFX and lighting and all that stuff. But, I mean, yeah, just some of these sequences look incredible. Um, you know, there's kind of a funny thing of how, at the beginning, there's a title card that says presented uh, in CinemaScope or with CinemaScope. Um, and, you know, while that's, you know, just kind of a nice little nod, I mean, this truly is like a movie that gives you this grandiose Hollywood feel, especially throughout that first half, because you do just get these massive wide shots of extraordinary set pieces. Uh, production design is not something I usually touch on in uh, in this podcast, but production design really comes into play uh, 
in La La Land with, again, just great set pieces and backdrops for all these musical numbers and for uh, just generally everything that happens in this movie has a really unique look based on, you know, where the characters are. Um, that's that's a place where this movie really shines. There's never a dull or boring shot. But, uh, I, yeah, again, the cinematography is just laid out very nicely. Again, you get these really grand frames, but you also get these these close-up, you know, good, intimate setting kind of circumstances in the second half so you get you know like i said you get a very distinct first and second half and the cinematography fits both i'd also like to point out the camera work that went into uh the very first musical number another day of sun on the la freeway it is one take and it is a massive one take and it is a one take in which they're navigating around a bunch of cars so this i mean it deserves a ton of credit it is a really really freaking awesome one take shot at the beginning there but again, I'm, I'm trying not to ramble as much on this show. I think I've made my main point is that you get very distinct cinematography in both both halves of the movie. And I think uh, both are done really, really expertly. I think this movie should get a lot of credit for cinematography, which I believe it won the Oscar for. And I think rightly so. so there's some very impressive technical stuff with one takes and stuff like that. The framing of shots where, you know, it's just a character walking down a street or walking down a boardwalk always looks beautiful with the various colors that are used. And I'll talk about colors a little bit later, more like more on its own thing this time. But... I mean, yeah, everything just looks really, really brilliant in this movie. All right, I know I just kind of started to touch on uses of light and framing and stuff like that in cinematography and said I would transfer that to colors. But I'm going to wait and kind of blend that in somewhere between the editing and VFX section because it kind of comes into a bit of both as well as cinematography. So I'm just going to hold off on that for a second. Let's talk about the score of La La Land first. Uh, Let's first tackle any of the orchestral stuff you know, the kind of atmospheric standout, any of the big tracks that aren't involving singing and dancing, and there's really not that many. You've got all of this, all the pieces that are played in this movie of music, you're usually watching them being played live in the movie. They're not just playing in the background. You know, even, even the kind of themes of the movie, like me and Sebastian's theme, or, you know, maybe take Engagement Party, which is kind of a riff that is used throughout the movie in Somewhere in the Crowd and a couple other tracks. You also get the riff from uh, Another Day of Sun at at multiple points. It's always happening on the actual screen. So there's not really much to talk about for a a score as much as there is to talk about for a soundtrack in kind of that manner. Um, But I do want to kind of divide into that, uh, you know, kind of two sections because of that, where I tackle the pure music and also the singing and dancing uh, true numbers. So let's kind of, you know, separate that into two. So let's uh, first talk about the orchestral stuff that I kind of touched on. We have Engagement Party, we have Mia and Sebastian's theme. Uh, you've got things like Herman's Habit, some great tracks that, you know, they, they vary from slow piano to a true emotional piano theme to straight on jazz.
you've got a lot of those tracks and they just basically fit the mood of the scene they're in. And I, I feel like this is a score, this is a soundtrack that you can just sit down and listen to. And I love soundtracks like that. I own a few soundtracks and scores from movies where I'm just like, yeah, this is good, solid music. And Damien Chazelle's movies have a knack for this, right? Because Whiplash is pretty awesome too. So, you know, you got to give credit to uh, to every everyone behind that movie for uh, putting it together here and anything that went into Whiplash, anyone that went into Whiplash for sure. Um, but I, I like the, the score of this movie a lot. Again, you've got kind of the jazz tracks as well as the more emotional piano tracks. Both are really, really fun. What I like about the orchestral stuff is when you think about the chords and the notes that they're playing, when you think about the notes that they're playing, they're really simple. Like, me and Sebastian's theme is like climbing a few notes and then going back down. And Engagement Party is like just a slow build. It's it's not like super complicated pieces, but they always fit the mood just right. And I think that's that's really nice, just kind of these simple pieces that you can get into that still manage to have this effect, and they always fit the scene that they're in. So, I mean, just the orchestral, orchestral stuff in this movie is beautiful. So I, I would really recommend listening to the La La Land soundtrack at some point, uh, which, you know, has the singing and dancing numbers and the orchestral stuff. And speaking of that, let's go to the singing and dancing stuff. I, I think there's, like, kind of a 50-50 mark with these. I think some songs and dances are just... They're just amazing. I think the epilogue is amazing. I think... Um, Oh, before I go much further, I forgot about the planetarium. That is a very, very, very good uh, score right there. And then there's songs that kind of blend the two, by the way. Uh, you've got A Lovely Night kind of blends the two. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, planetarium, very, very good music right there. Very, very good music right there. Um, all right, sorry, back to singing and dancing. Like I said, that's kind of a 50-50. I think there's some musical numbers that are just great and some that fall a little flat to me. Uh, ones that fall a little flat. First time I watched it, uh, The Fools Who Dream, the audition, I just wasn't into it. Second time I watched this movie, loved it. First time I watched Another Day of Sun, hated it. Second time I watched it, it's great. It's, it's really growing on me. I don't know why. It just felt so corny the first time I saw it, and now it's like, man, this thing is pretty good. Um, someone in the crowd, I, I just I have not been able to get into. I think it's got a nice middle section to it, because uh, it's kind of a three-part song. But I don't know, it, that one just never really hooked me. But the scene that takes place, the second half of the scene during the second half of that song is great. And I'll talk about that in the spoiler full section. City of Stars is fine. I feel like Ryan Gosling can't sing all that well. I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm in the middle on which is better when he's singing alone or the duet with Emma Stone. Both are just kind of mediocre in my opinion. I actually probably would have picked The Fools Who Dream over, that, uh, uh, over City of Stars for the um, Oscar. But that's just my personal opinion. Uh, John Legend has a song, Start a Fire, insanely catchy, makes a very, very drastic turn from the rest of the music uh, in this movie, which it's kind of supposed to. That's kind of the whole point. Uh, it's all right. I mean, it's not anything I would uh, I would, I would, would buy, but, you know, it's not anything that I would go crazy for, but it's all right. Uh, again, uh, you get some just nice... Uh, I, all right, I do want to mention A Lovely Night, because this is, in my opinion, it might be the best dance... I'm going to have to pick a best dance number at the end of the sport full section. I'm going to be very mad if I forget to do that, but... I, I, this one's really great because you've got, you know, singing and dancing that's not terrible. It's pretty good. You've got a beautiful set piece. You've got uh, a just great dancing in that scene. The dancing in, is that, in that scene is probably the most known uh, dancing in the movie. Uh, and, and it's just a fun song. Great orchestral part at the end. I mean, A Lovely Night is pretty great. Um, it doesn't stick in my head as much. Like, you know, if like somebody tells me another day of song, it's like, oh, I could hum you the melody to that. A lovely night. I, I honestly forget how half of it goes, except for the part where they do the uh, when they do the cool flip out the arms fan airplane uh, poster looking thing. 
Uh, but that's about it. And I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't stick in my head. But every time I've seen it, I'm like, man, this is a pretty awesome sequence. So yeah, singing and dancing in this movie. Dancing's a strong suit. Singing's okay. Uh, and uh, the set pieces on it are great. But each song is pretty well crafted. A lot of them are very simple. That was the one thing I was surprised at going into this movie. I was expecting these big, insane uh, pieces of music. But they're pretty simple melodies, simple riffs that are just they're just done pretty cleanly. And I think that's what makes this movie pretty solid in terms of uh, you know the music and dance. If I had to kind of pick a favorite track, uh, I mean, first I kind of want to tack- tackle uh, signature piece, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, everything's pretty good in this movie. The signature piece is technically me and Sebastian's theme. And I think that that is what, what carries a lot of the emotional weight of the movie is that popping up uh, at multiple times throughout the the story. And it's done pretty well. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of repeat riffs that I can, I can imagine in my head. I don't want to, like, try and hum them on here. But you've got, you know, the one kind of from in the middle of somewhere in the crowd pops up at least twice. Another Day of Sun pops up a couple times because of the epilogue. And then there's, like, a... Uh, there's like this fanning almost, I don't even know what the instrument is that's playing it, but I, fanning was a really bad descriptive word for that. I, I know it plays right when me and Sebastian kiss uh, at the start of Epilogue. Um, that's not a spoiler or anything. Uh, it starts playing right there. So if you want to know what I'm talking about, you can go to that. Um, but that's that, that little section of music pops up several times. Yeah, if I had to pick a favorite track, favorite favorite one to watch is probably A Lovely Night because the singing and the, I mean, yeah, everything in that is pretty sweet. You know, I, I really like Another Day of Sun, though, too. I think they've all kind of grown on me. But, uh, I, again, this whole movie has grown on me uh, by the second watching. So, uh, yeah, uh, but we'll talk about that in my holistic take on this movie uh, a little bit later. Um, does the music stand out? Is it atmospheric or is it totally unnoticeable? I think you know the answer is it stands out. So not much to say about that. Yeah, I think we're kind of done with the score. Like I said, you know, great jazz tracks, great melodies, great uh, piano music. Uh, Singing and dancing is, you know, a bit 50-50, but some of them are really great. Some are just kind of white noise in the midst of the other uh, songs and and other uh, scores in this movie that are really, really strong. Uh, Everything's pretty simple. Everything's pretty clean. Everything is fit into the script. Uh, and I'll touch on each. I'll do a detailed analysis of each in the in the spoiler full section. So I don't want to talk about this much further. So that means let's go to editing. Uh, what's the style and what are the flares? There is a very clear one at the beginning when you when you're kind of getting this Hollywood sense. There's a lot of them, uh, whether it be title cards, whether it be the appearance of random neon signs uh, as like editing clip art almost with like little vignettes of of champagne being poured and stuff like that that are just they, they're very old Hollywood mimicky kind of thing uh, so that gives the the first half of the movie a very unique flair uh, and and as far as like pacing and stuff goes it's pretty standard I can't think of any like insane stuff I will say a lot of the singing and dancing is left as smooth you know just a very short amount of takes not like you know rapid cutting or anything it's usually one take maybe two maybe three and that's that's really that's really strong. So I, I gotta you gotta give them credit for that as to the actors, to Damon Chazelle, to the, the cinematography uh, department in this movie. It, it's it's very solid the way they do that. But the editing maintains the pace. So let's talk about like kind of colors in this movie because that's the bigger thing. Colors. It, I I think if this movie would have sucked, it still would have been talked about for the colors. And I think half the reason this, not half the reason, that's a bit of an over-exaggeration, but a nice reason why this movie did so well and is 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 pretty good, which I'll talk talk about when I get my you know whole take, is because of the colors. Everything's a really bold 
look and everything you know there's lots of primary colors but also shades of green shades of purple these things that just fit like imagine city of stars if you've seen this movie already city of stars is just ryan gosling standing there on a normal sunny day on a dock boring right boring but we've got a very cool smooth looking purple sunset with these like orange lights littering the kind of with these orange lights kind of dotting the frame and it just looks beautiful and it, and it makes that scene really stand out when you think back on it think about uh the the scene at the dinner table it could just be two people sitting there but no you've got this great green background to it that is really just awesome i mean i i think that's what's really cool about this movie is there's a unique look to every scene if you showed the color palette of one scene you could probably figure out what scene it was because there's just new looks to every single scene costumes kind of come into this too i'll talk about that in the costume section but I mean, everything has a very unique color palette to it, and it's always this very smooth, uh, pleasing to look at tints of of just bold colors, and I, I think it's really done well. I think again, like a lot of movies could try to do this, and it just be like, okay, great. But I think this movie really lets that stand out, and uh, again, it gives it kind of a very Hollywood vibe, but also it really sells certain emotions in certain scenes. So I think that's a really nice touch. I want to go back to editing for a second. There's just a few shots I can think about where it's like, okay, that's just a quick insert in, in terms of editing and stuff like that. That's fine. Why am I even going back to that? Back to colors. Um, I think there is a lot of color grading, not necessarily pure color from the production design, but production design does have a lot of the colors. There's a lot of set pieces that are just pure set pieces with lots of color. So it's kind of 50-50, and I think both are just executed flawlessly. I mean, this is one of the most colorful, vivid movies I've ever seen, and it does it where it's not just there to be colorful. It, it really, again, sells the story, sells the feeling of the movie, sells the tone, sells the mood, uh, and, and just sells the whole vibe. I think, I think the, the colors are just... I'm really glad Damien Chazelle kept that in mind throughout the making of this movie because everything just looks amazing in this movie. And that's half the intrigue. Again, I think if this movie... First of all, I think, you know, like, this movie comes out and all the trailers show it just being a very plain, normal-looking movie loses a lot of intrigue. I think if you watch the movie and you took away all the colors, very, very dull in terms of, you know, atmosphere to it. Um, I, I think I think if this movie would have been bad but still had the cool colors we still would be talking about it. And that really goes to show you that, uh, you know, things like that can make a lot of difference. Whether that's good or bad is up to you. In this movie, I think it's good. It really gives it a unique feel. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how we would feel if we saw a really boring movie that just looked very pleasing. Who knows? Not something we probably won't know anytime soon. Actually, there's probably plenty of examples, but I don't feel like talking about any. So, you know, we'll leave it at that. Okay, so that means let's go to visual effects. There's not really any. I imagine there's some CGI implemented in the LA freeway scene and as well as maybe the vistas of a couple scenes. There's really... Uh, okay, there's actually a couple things to talk about. I, I can't really talk about them because they're all artistic touches put in the ending of this movie. If you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. The epilogue has a just bunch of like really unique editing and visual effects flares. I really, really want to talk about that, but I really, really want to wait till the spoiler full section because I can't talk about that really at all. Um, I will say something I miss with the lighting. I don't know how I miss this. There's a lot of scenes where the lighting just becomes like a spotlight on one character, even though they're in the middle of a room. It gives it this cool isolated effect. It's a little bit cheesy. It's like, oh, wow, this person is connecting with the, this other person in the spotlight. It's like, oh, okay, wow. But it becomes kind of a motif throughout the movie that, you know, you, you'll, you'll warm into. All right, costuming and makeup. Authenticity is not the question here. It's more of, is it unique? What does it look like? How does it do? It's very unique because it's, it's just straight, bold colors. 
Look at every dress Emma Stone wears in this movie. It's just like a solid blue or a solid yellow, some bright color. You know, a couple little uh, alterations here and there. I guess you can also think about the the roommates at the beginning with someone in the crowd. Uh, that has a very unique look, each of them with a, you know, bold, solid color dress. Um, but yeah, the costumes are pretty great. You know, Ryan Gosling's pretty much always wearing a white shirt with a black tie or a suit jacket. Uh, it gives him a very suave look. When is Ryan Gosling in a movie and not wearing uh, some sort of suit jacket with a tie? But uh, I, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, I, the costuming in this movie is, is really fantastic. I, I mean, all the, the dancers are also in these bold, solid color, simple outfits that just give this such a fun, you know, pop-off-the-screen kind of look. And I, I really think that's something La La Land accomplishes uh, very, very exceptionally. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think you can watch a scene without noticing the costumes. They really stick out, and they do so in a good way. You know, movies can have costumes that stick out just because. But this one does it in a way that really, again, sells the mood, sells the tone, sells the atmosphere. All the same things about the colors. So, you know, got to give props to the costuming department of La La Land. All right, I think we're about done with all the little technical stuff. It's time to get into the finances before we rate La La Land and, uh, and wrap up this, this section of, um, of the episode, the spoiler-free section. So, the question is, how much movie did, how much money did La La Land make? And uh, we're about to find out. Normally, if there was other hosts here, I would have them guess, but instead I'm just going to read it to you. And of course, these numbers are according to IMDb, which is strangely uh, like accurate down to the dollar amount, uh, like in, in what it predicts it's going to be. But you see different numbers across various websites, so take this with a grain of salt. It's more just so I can say something. Oh my god, how do I f- keep forgetting the planetarium sequence? I'm sorry. Lighting in the planetariums, costume in the planetarium, music in the planetarium, all these things in the planetarium sequence are amazing. Like, the planetarium sequence I also thought was a bit corny at the beginning when I first watched it, and then the second time I'm like, man, this is beautiful, this is sweet. And again, that goes a lot to the different uh, the different aspects of this movie, of, uh, you know, the costumes, the, the lighting, the visual effects is where that, that scene really carries itself. That and that blog, man, they really harness visual effects to a great degree, in my opinion. The first time you watch it, you're like, what the heck is going on? But now you see it again, you're like, that's pretty sweet. Okay, sorry, back to that topic at hand. Budget, $30 million. Surprisingly low based on how well this movie would go on to do critically and with audiences. I think Hollywood might not have had a lot of faith in this project. They saw Whiplash, they're like, okay, let's give Damien Chazelle a shot at this. And uh, I think everyone was rightfully blown away when this movie made uh, $9 million. (laughs) $9 million opening weekend. Pretty dull. uh, Sorry, $9 million. $242,782. But... You know, okay, that's a that's a very not uh, not too stellar opening. This movie has since grossed four hundred forty six million ninety two thousand five hundred and thirty seven. Sorry, three hundred fifty seven bucks. That is pretty pretty solid for a movie like this too. This is a very you know not blockbuster movie for it to be making that. I think that goes without saying. It is a romantic musical. I mean, that's a lot of money for a romantic musical in a time where those weren't insanely popular in Hollywood. So, you know, you got to give credit to this movie. Made a lot of money. It had a lot of talk at the time. Oscar buzz, I'm sure, helped it. But everyone was like, man, you got to go see La La Land. It is, is new. It is different. And when you look at it compared to old Hollywood, it's not new or different. It's really a tribute. It's a love letter to some of those things for the first half. It has, you know, some unique takes on on romance that you, you've seen in some movies, but it's not that often that you see it. Um, I can, again, think of one example, but again, I don't want to say it. But, I mean, yeah, this is what I'm saying, is this movie was very out of out of the blue to a lot of people. It's not a tone, it's not a genre they were used to. So for it to make that much money, that's pretty impressive. All right, so that's it for all the kind of analysis sort of stuff uh, within the spoiler-free section. So now it's time for the kind of official 
uh, verdict on this movie. And what do I rate La La Land on a, on a scale of uh, 1 to 10? Uh, we choose something different instead of just stars based on the movie. And honestly, though, this is La La Land, so I think stars is a fitting choice. It's a city of stars. So uh, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10 stars, I'll be giving La La Land a 9 out of 10. It's not a perfect movie, I think. Uh, it really took me a while to really reflect on this movie uh, before a lot of the impact really hit me. And, you know, there are the occasional trifles with this movie that I have. So it's not a perfect 10. Originally, when I watched this movie, I was going to give it an 8. But it had such a lasting impact that I wasn't expecting once the movie was over. And not just, like, in the immediate, you know, hour after or anything like that. But in, like, the days following, I could not stop thinking about this movie. Some of its music that even I had, you know, turned my head at in the, in the theater. or I Some of the music I had not been a big fan of upon first watch was still stuck in my head and I found myself enjoying it. You know, some of the elements of the story really grew on me. Uh, some of the elements of the style, most specifically, were the things that when the movie first ended, I was like, I don't know about that. But then it really grew on me just reflecting on it. Uh, and so with that being said, La La Land is a 9 out of 10 stars. Uh, and that leads us right into the Why You Should Watch It uh, section. Uh, and that segment of the show, if you don't already know, is uh, because there's a reason to watch any movie, good or bad, whether it's something you can learn to do or learn not to do in terms of filmmaking. Uh, there's always some stuff, uh, some reasons to watch this movie. Uh, and let's talk about... Uh, okay, there's quite a few reasons in this one. Uh, number one, Damien Chazelle is uh, directing. He's got a very well-rounded movie here because he's directing... Song and dance, you know, obviously he has some people leading those things a bit more than him, but he's still putting these things together. He's directing uh, the look of this movie, even though obviously there's a production designer. Again, he's involved with that stuff. Uh, and again, the style of this movie is very much divided into two halves that still seamlessly go together. They're, they really pair well when you think about it. And I think, you know, you got to give it to him for really just composing a really nice movie here. It's like a very, you know, straightforward story that I've, I, you know, I, I think I've said that like 50 times in this episode. It's a straightforward story, but he makes it interesting. It's visually interesting. It's got unique uh, looks to every frame. Um, and, and, and the characters are just so well-developed, so you got to give it to him in the realm of writing um, because even though, as I mentioned, and I just mentioned it again, it's a straightforward story, the characters are very easy to relate with. Uh, they have very dynamic arcs. You see them weave in and out, and really at the end of the day, it's almost two separate stories, the story of Sebastian and the story of Mia, um, that really just kind of weave their way in and out of each other, but when you look at this movie as a whole, each has their own really distinct arc. It's not so much about, okay, let's see how they go as a couple. It's really seeing how each grows independently, which is something that really separates the very good uh, romance stories from the you know average romance story. Uh, other reasons to watch this movie is uh, the music. I think that kind of goes without saying. Everybody talks about the music of this movie. You know, again, I, I kind of tend to think it's a little 50-50. There's some songs that are fantastic and some that are just kind of meh. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you take them in the whole movie, they're pretty pretty solid. Also, I tend to, I, I tend to think that Damien Chazelle is a master at endings, um, at least with this and Whiplash. I guess you can't really say he's a master at it. He's just two for two on it um, because I don't, I don't want to factor in First Man to that um, conversation. Although... Personally, the first man uh, ending is a bit 50-50 for me. Like, I feel like I can take it in really deep ways. In other ways, it's just like, eh, I don't know. It's a little forced. But sorry, that's very off topic. Um, I, I think really he ends this movie well. Uh, and I think he ends it in such a way that not a lot of directors do. Um, I, I don't want to spoil it too much. But I just think with Whiplash and this, he really has a knack for leaving a lasting impact on an audience member. And uh, I think that really comes through here just as much as it did in Whiplash. 
Other things to like about this movie is, yeah, basically all the elements of the production. You gotta hand it to the costume designer, you gotta hand it to the choreographer, you gotta hand it to uh, the, the, the cameramen here, uh, you know, the camera crew, the cinematographer, etc. Um, you, you really gotta hand it to each person. It's very evident that just everybody in this movie did their job and really loved what they were doing and committed to what they were doing. Because uh, there's really no weak element in this movie uh, when, when you add it all up with the rest of them. There's really not much of a weak link. Uh, you know, every, everything's got its own unique stamp, but they all go hand in hand with each other, whether, again, it be the production and the set pieces, to the makeup and costuming, to the song and dance, to, again, overall, Damien Chazelle's uh, very nice pairing of two kind of distinct styles from the first half to the second half of this movie. All right, so yeah, that's about it for, you know, reasons to watch it. Directing, overall production, music, uh, I, I think those are pretty solid reasons. Performances I would add into that. I think there's a lot better performances out there, like just uh, like in the history of movies ever. But Ryan Gosling kills it, and Emma Stone really kills it. I think this is one of her stronger performances of her career. And same for Ryan Gosling, quite frankly. But uh, I, I think they both, they both give really good performances, uh, and, and most notably how well you can just relate and follow these characters along these paths. Okay, that's uh, that's really it for the spoiler-free section. Uh, I appreciate you listening to this spoiler-free section. As I record this, I'm not entirely sure whether this is, in fact, episode 20 or not. Uh, I, I, I apologize. Let me, let me lay this all out for you. I record pretty much every episode in one sitting, with the exception of extended analysis episodes. So all the ratings and review ones are obviously one segment. These, I, I kind of record them in multiple segments so I can really... Uh, you know, reflect on certain aspects of this movie, and most notably because I don't really necessarily always have the time to sit down for two hours or however long these episodes are, so I tend to divide it into sections, and that means you might notice some inconsistencies in, in things like audio and stuff like that. Hopefully we can get them ironed out, but you, you might also hear me repeat myself, ramble, all the, all the like, because it's like starting fresh with that movie every time I start recording a new segment. Um, but what, what I, I really wanted to say is that this means sometimes I spend, you know, quite a few days trying to record, uh, for instance, this episode on La La Land. And in the meantime, we'll have been able to record several mini-reviews or, or a rating thing. Uh, things I just, you know, you know mini-reviews, especially because I want to give reactions to movies off my chest. I Like, as I sit here recording this segment, I've had probably the best weekend for movies I've ever had, but I can't sit and talk about those very much. I'm doing this instead. So, you know, you, it's, it's hard for me to kind of mix in these things. Um, and and it, it, like I said, it may mean that... Um, that when I the the real point I want I wanted to make is that I said at the beginning of this episode this is episode twenty. Since then, it's I've had many opportunities to make other episodes um, based on when I recorded that clip you heard earlier in this episode that says this is episode twenty. Um, and and I try to plan ahead. Like I started this episode when I was on episode eighteen. It doesn't always pan out, is what I'm saying. Like I, I and and so what I'm trying to say. Let me get to the point here is that uh, this, for all I know, as I sit here recording this, will end up being episode 22 because I just can't wait and I need to record some mini-reviews, and I put those up first. I just don't know. So I think for extended analysis episodes, I'm going to stop saying this is episode 20, but if you ever notice me say that and it's just completely wrong, that is why. I spent way too much time explaining this. I probably talked about this more than I did about the movie as I sit here recording this, but you know what? There you go. There's some, some behind-the-scenes uh, knowledge for you on, uh, on Cine Study. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for listening to the Spore Free section. Uh, this, this has been La La Land. Again, 9 out of 10. Great reasons to watch it. I just provided you. Uh, yeah, I think everyone should check out this movie. I think everyone should check out most movies that I spend the time to record an episode on. Um, I, I, I think pretty much every movie 
I know this is going to sound weird, but I think every movie in some right deserves a watch because every movie is going to do something right and every movie is going to do something wrong. I, I really don't think there's there's much on either extreme necessarily. Um, I, I think it's a lot easier to find really bad movies, but you know, there's still certain things to learn from those, and I probably won't end up reviewing those anyway. But um, you know, I'm just rambling on random film theory ideas of mine now. So. Uh, that's it for this spoiler-free section of Wallow Land. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Cine Study. Uh, spores are ahead, and if you're still listening, welcome to the spoiler section. The following audio will contain countless spoilers and discussions of significant character arcs and plot points. You've been warned. Don't ruin the movie for yourself. Unless, of course, do you want to? Cine Study is not liable. All right, welcome to the spoiler full section of La La Land, and uh, let's just jump right into it. So the movie starts off, uh, well actually before even the first scene, you can already tell that this movie is very much going to be a love letter to old Hollywood because our title cards have a presented in CinemaScope classic kind of title card before we get into the real thick of it. And so, you know, it's already like, oh yeah, this is very old Hollywood classic stuff here, and it, it just kind of sets the mood immediately. What sets the mood more, though, is the opening scene of La La Land, which we pan down through traffic and uh, we come across this one car where there's a lady singing, or I guess going uh, ba-ba-ba. I, I, I don't know if you would call that singing necessarily. Um, and after uh, panning through the, the, the cars on an L.A. freeway, I didn't even mention that, uh, we begin our first musical number. And I, anytime I'll get a musical number, I'll just review that like holistically. Um, and so that's what I'm going to do here. This is the opening number of all and uh, another day of sun. So as far as the song goes, it's catchy. It gets in your head. Um, you know, it's 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 very old Hollywood. It's uh, it's very classic musical style. And uh, I think that the the more important thing that people take away from this is the production of the whole thing. So the whole musical number is one take. There's a couple like quick uh, pans, like 180 degree pans that you could maybe hide a cut in Birdman style, but I don't know if that's the case or not. I think they filmed this in one take. And if they didn't, they filmed sizable portions in one take. So that should be uh, duly noted. Um, as far as the dancing in the scene, it's pretty cool. Everybody like gets on top of their cars and it's just very fun. You got like three different protagonists almost in this scene of people you're following doing the main singing as they weave in and out of cars. Everybody is in these bold primary colors in bold primary color cars with bold primary color garments and instruments and bikes and scooters and skateboards and stuff. 
and it's just pretty sweet. I'd say the production design really jumps out, but honestly, as far as the caliber of music and stuff like that, like the the the, the singing, the just kind of the whole. Uh, what's the word? There's like a certain extravagance that a musical number, especially an opening one to a Broadway style uh, musical number would need. And I actually find that to be kind of missing in this first scene. Like I was just waiting for it to like, you know, really grab me. Like if anybody, there's just a certain feeling. Anybody who's seen live theater knows that if you get into a musical number, whether you're seeing a Broadway show or just a local show, there's just like a certain like, yes, gripping, like, I don't know, like weight to it maybe i i really can't nail like this feeling i get but for this it just sounded like a very straightforward recording track it didn't sound as real it it didn't seem as like right there in your face as like a, a real classic musical would and i'm not sure entirely what it is i think part of it is actually uh something that most musicals get away with that i that i think is is something that really detracts from musicals for me, for uh, movie musicals, because obviously this is not the case in live theater. And that is, uh, they're dubbing. I mean, it's it's lip syncing for the filming of the scene. And the notable exception to this is what I recently saw, A Star is Born. Um, all, most, if not all, of those performances are actually the people singing there. And, and even when Lady Gaga was offered to you know dub the recordings... They wanted to sing it live because it just does feel more real. Like something about it, you can just tell a lot more. It grips you a lot more. And this scene, it just kind of misses that for me. Like it just doesn't seem all the way there as as awesome as it is in terms of colors. And and the camera work is to be praised because like, you know, weaving in and out of these cars, capturing everything. uh, It's really, really cool. But even the dancing, it's not as like, it's not lackluster, but it's not as like extravagant as I would have liked it to be. It's grown on me over time, and uh, I, I think it's a great scene, but it's really, I don't know, just something there is just like, mm, it needed to go a step further for me personally. But, you know, as far as execution, you can't deny that it's pretty it's pretty dang good. And that scene, yeah, so then we, I, I do a couple highlights, though. I think uh, the guy on the, the guy doing parkour in the purple shirt is just pretty sweet. I don't know, I just like that guy. Even though, even that seems a little like, oh, I don't even know. It's It's not flowing it's just got these weird interruptions to it and i don't know what it is but the very end where you know everybody's you get the wide shot of everything is pretty cool and then title card la la land and title card winter which i I actually thought was kind of funny because it looks like i mean the whole song was it's another day of sun and uh it's now winter anyway we then pan down and it's ryan gosling he's you know trying to find some tunes on his radio and we pan further and find that he's stuck in traffic behind uh, Emma Stone's character, Mia, who is practicing for an audition she's clearly heading to. She's on the phone. At first, you just think she's in natural conversation, then you realize she's practicing, which is actually kind of cool because that already sells. Like, oh, she actually is pretty solid at acting because I didn't think she was actually practicing for an audition there. Uh, anyway, they're stuck in traffic, as I mentioned, so Ryan Gosling breezes by her. She uh, flips him off as he honks at her and just a very quick clashing thing that you, you know, you've seen in other love stories, the, the initial, like, butting of heads. Uh, we then see Emma Stone at her day job at a coffee shop where she serves some celebrity, and that'll set up a great parallel later, and for now it's just kind of a standard scene. She gets coffee spilled on her, and she has to wear a fur-lined parka uh, in her first audition that we see. And this is another example of like, oh wow, this is, she's pretty good at acting. Like, she's got an ugly cry face, and she's, she's really going for it, and you're like, okay, she's actually doing something, she's auditioning in La La Land, and then uh, she gets interrupted by some person who's just rude and interrupts 
Uh, and I, I mean, this is very true to Hollywood, as I would imagine it, that this kind of stuff happens all the time. Uh, it really shows the frustration of Emma Stone's character throughout this movie. Uh, and this is, you know, the first example of that. Uh, she leaves the studio, gets in an elevator with, like, better versions of Emma Stone. At least it's supposed to be painted that way because she has her coffee-stained shirt and she's next to, like, people in the same outfit but cleaner and taller and fancier. Uh, and then she goes home and she goes to her room and I think uh, it's Audrey Hepburn on her wall or it might be... Uh, it's probably not actually Audrey Hepburn. It looks more like... Uh, Ingrid Bergman from uh, Casablanca. It is a little weird that she lives in this like super fancy apartment with three people, but that's beside the point. Uh, she is in this apartment. You really get a sense of the colors in La La Land like immediately, even in the like randomest of scenes. And this is a prime example when Emma Stone gets out of the shower and it's like this crazy red and like she's got like the the like glistening green tiles and stuff like that amidst it, and it's just pretty sweet. Uh, and then her roommates barge in on her and. You basically just get these three random characters that really don't ever show up for the rest of the movie. Eh, minor, minor point that's like, okay. But uh, they're, you know, asking her how the audition went. She says it's not great. And then she's like, okay, but we got more auditions for you. But right now you're coming to this party. And boom, another musical number. The first time I watched this, I will say, when Emma Stone first looked in the mirror and like wiped off the mirror in the shower before her roommates barged in, I can't remember right now if she just is like talking to herself, says nothing, if music plays, if, if she starts to sing. But I literally like rolled my eyes. Like I was like, oh, this is the kind of movie it's going to be. It just seemed way too glitzy. And like, I was like, it, I just wasn't into it despite all the buzz behind it. But that is to change later on. So I won't talk about that right now. But and, and even now, like I said, like these musical numbers have really grown on me. Like I think I, I, I've said someone in the crowd is not my favorite, but it's way better than I originally uh, upon original viewing. I, I felt it to be. Uh, it is a very colorful number as they bounce around the apartment with the three roommates saying, you know, go to this party and someone in the crowd who you need to propel your career might be there. That's kind of the message of that song. You got to go out and look for it.
Emma Stone pretty hesitant, but then she decides to go, and they've all got bold primary color dresses again, because Damien Chazelle loves his bold primary colors and dances. Uh, and the kind of, like, instrumental portion of this song is just sweet. Like, it's, it's like, the kind of, one of the se- several, like, core La La Land themes between, like, uh, me and Sebastian's theme, the City of Stars theme, and then this middle part of someone in the crowd that comes back in the track called Engagement Party when Ryan Gosling is playing the piano at an engagement party. But uh, it, it's a great little theme. This is the more, uh, you know, overdone, not overdone, done up version of it uh, as they spin around the street. Choreography here is like a bit okay. I don't know why, but I just felt like it was, again, like a little bit, it's just missing something. It just seems a little bit too clean. Uh, but they kind of skip down the street, and it looks all right. And then uh, we get this very... This is the second part where I'm like, I see what kind of movie it is. Because you get this, like, transition montage as they're heading to this party. And you get these, like, you get these like layovers and, like, little thumbnails almost. And, like, little uh, vignettes, even, of, like, drinks being poured and, like, people's feet moving around a dance floor. And, and like, cars and neon signs. And you're like, oh, man, this is classic Hollywood. But it's also kind of weird because we're in modern day watching La La Land. But it doesn't matter because uh, we then get Emma Stone with like a self-reflecting, another very red bathroom, even more red than her first one, as she like contemplates in the mirrors, like, is this what she really wants? And that really never comes up again. Whereas it does for Ryan Gosling of like, what does he really want? It seems like Emma Stone always wants to be an actress. She just doesn't quite know how to get there. Uh, and then when she goes to the bathroom, you get this uh, very you know, artsy scene of people frozen, some people slightly dancing. Man, there's this one guy who's supposed to be frozen that keeps shaking his arm and blinking, and it really got on my nerves because it's not that hard to freeze. Like, as someone who has a, a brief experience in theater, it's it's not too hard to hold a freeze. I mean, like, you're, you're in the background at this point, too, and you're still, like, blinking and shaking your drink, and he's not even one of the people that's supposed to be dancing. But either way, cool contrast of, like, some people frozen, some people dancing. It's just kind of artsy, not really much, like, point to it. Uh, as Emma Stone slowly walks through it, the music is a great build here of the uh, Someone in a Crowd theme again. I uh, really love it. And then it bursts back into craziness when somebody jumps in the pool at the party. And then I love this shot. You get this spinning shot uh, where the cameraman is in the middle of the pool. You occasionally go underneath the surface and see people swimming boogie night style. And then you come back up and everybody's like forming a perimeter around the pool, dancing like crazy. And it's really cool. Water droplets are on the camera and it's a very, very fun shot. I really liked it. Uh, and it's great because it is immediately juxtaposed with uh, Emma Stone. Not being able to find her car, it looks like it got towed. Uh, so she walks and she passes a mural of like famous Hollywood stars, and you you get the uh, you know very clear imagery of you know her against this backdrop of what she wants to be. And then she hears uh, some piano playing, and honestly, the whole movie hinges on her wandering into this piano bar. But there's so much of that in movies of things hinging on one key event. Um, and honestly, one key event it might even be the party, the next pool party that she meets Ryan Gosling again. But still. She wanders into this bar. Also, a great shot of her standing outside this bar with, like, cool red lights. Really like it. But she goes in Lipton's, and uh, she wanders down into this club, and we only see her as, like, the lights dim around her, and you get this spotlight that I was talking about earlier. And she then uh, is, like, wistfully glancing at the whoever's playing the piano that we don't see, and we can tell this is something big. This is the turning point that we're going to come back to. And it was very clear to me what was about to happen. We were going to go see Ryan Gosling's lead up to this moment where they were going to clearly meet. And sure enough, the music fades into a car horn. Ryan Gosling back in traffic and going around uh, Emma Stone. Uh, Sorry if I refer to them by their actor and actress names a lot. 
I just tend to do that. Uh, honestly, unnecessary but very cool shot of Ryan Gosling sitting at a table in front of a huge Californian oranges mural. Love it. Uh, he's looking over at the Van Beek Tapas and Tunes bar uh, and just getting ready to perform there. He hates that place very clearly. Uh, we'll come to see that later. And then big old ex- exposition dump of a scene here, but I, I don't mind it. It actually didn't really hit me that that's what this was until well after. And as long as it doesn't call attention to itself, it's pretty effective exposition. Um, but it is like Ryan Gosling wandering into his apartment and his sister is there, who is the other character that doesn't really ever come up again in this movie. Uh, but it is, it sets up that, you know, he's kind of a struggling guy. He doesn't go out of his way in social situations because he's so obsessed with jazz and no girls really like jazz. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't, he has a lot of past due bills. He's got music relics that his sister treats like garbage and, uh, it's it's a very you know fun little scene of, of back and forth. Really, Ryan Gosling again showing off his comedic chops a little bit. Not as much as later on. Uh, you also tell that he uh, something bad happened to him in the past where he should have been on the road to his jazz career and got quote Shanghai. Uh, he gets his sister to leave. Then you see him practicing some piano and a quick little scene establishes that this man's pretty good. He's trying to emulate the greats, and it definitely establishes that like he knows what he's doing in jazz. He's he, like he actually is a jazz musician uh and then we head into the damien chazelle expanded universe uh as somebody has once coined uh that's the true dceu and we see that uh uh fletcher from whiplash has made his way into hollywood and has dropped all uh facades of immense anger towards aspiring drummers and is now just heading a random restaurant and wanting people to play the the right song which actually is still along the lines of fletcher i think it's the same guy but uh, anyway he wants ryan gossing to play some Christmas tunes set list on the piano. He's very unwilling to let Ryan Gosling go out of that. Uh, and so it's a funny contrast to what we just saw before of Ryan Gosling practicing the greats and then playing a very, very, very clean deck the halls. Uh, and he's kind of, you know, time passes. He looks very much soulless as he continues to play this Christmas music. And so we get a great swooping shot around his back in the piano as he slowly uh, hinges and holds you in suspense on some final notes and then drops into... Mia and Sebastian's theme. Great piece of music here. Um, you know, I, I really like the very basic part of the, like, dun 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 that kind of part. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. But uh, it, it jumps into the, like, really crazy, like, rapid-fire piano playing, which is fine. I mean, it, I, I, I actually thought it was like, okay. I mean, I just liked the very subtle, beautiful part, but no worries. Uh, Spotlight again descends on our protagonist with two very dramatic Ryan Gosling strands of hair as he plays the piano. Uh, and, th- and this was, again, upon first viewing, I was just like, what is this, man? This is so, like, Hollywood pretentious. I really did think that the first time. I know that's coming out a lot more now than it did in the spoiler-free section. But, man, does this movie make up for it, in my opinion, in the second half? Like, I, I mean, it's, it really does. But uh, but a lot of this first uh, half stuff in its all its glitz and glamour has grown on me, I will say. Anyway, like, finishes his crazy jazz stuff and not so much as a clap from the restaurant as we cut back into light. Uh, but J.K. Simmons, Fletcher, he's not having it. Uh, he tells Ryan Gosling, hey, there's no Mars bar here and you better get out. You're fired. And Ryan Gosling is very disappointed. Uh, and he walks out and uh, Mia is there from what we saw earlier. Attempts to say hi to him and he just, you know, shoulder checks her. And you're like, okay, nice little subverted trope there. I like it. Uh, then we see a quick montage of Emma Stone auditions in which she is just garbage. I don't know if it's her picking bad roles or if her mind's on something else. I think that's what it's getting at. It's like, okay, her acting is kind of going by the wayside because we're about to get this stuff with Ryan Gosling, which is emphasized by the transition into spring. 
But before that, these auditions are very, you know, bad. Like, I can see these scripts actually being made is the funny part. But anyway, spring. Pool party. One of my favorite underrated jokes in this is when uh, Emma Stone wanders up on one of her previous roommates uh, who has this guy, Carlo, near her, who has, I quote, a knack for world building. You know, it's kind of nice to have all this, this buzz behind you, give validation, something you've worked hard for. I, I quoted that very wrong, but I'm going to play it because I love that clip. I want you to meet my friend Carlo. Hi, Hi. Carlo. Hi. Mia. Nice. Mia? Yes, Mia. Hi. How are Carlo you? Carlo is a writer. Yeah, yeah they say I have a knack for world building. I've got a lot of heat right now. There's a lot of buzz, people talking about me, which is exciting. And you work so hard and then all that validation. I'm going to grab a drink. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then Emma Stone, you know, escapes to get a drink and sees none other than Sebastian in crazy disco outfit playing the keyboard to uh, take on me. And it's great. Uh, and I just love the dynamic of Ryan Gosling standing there trying to act remotely, like, cool, but he's just so not interested, and the other people in his band just look like complete, like, they just look like jokes. It's great. Um, and so, just to mess with them, I guess, she requests Iran, and, uh, you know, Ryan Gosling's pretty ticked off, pretty funny watching him, like, casually play the guitar here, uh, and, and, you know, Emma Stone doing some loud dancing is a funny little moment here really kind of establishes the chemistry between the two as well, which we were, of course, subverted in the uh, first scene of the two in the restaurant, in, in the tapas bar. Uh, we see Ryan Gosling wandering around the pool following his gig, and uh, he's not having it when he finally sees Emma Stone. And brief, you know, conversation here. Here's where you really get a sense for their, you know, com- their their chemistry with the, with fun dialogue of, you know, talking to each other about their careers, about, you know, being a serious musician and being requested Iran, and also saying, you know, what movies have you been in and, and saying, seeing the movies in a very sarcastic manner. And it's clear that they're, you know, they're buttonheads a little bit still. They got some chemistry. We're getting halfway there. All right. I remember you. And I'll admit I was a little curt that night. Curt? Okay, I was an asshole. I can admit that. Okay. But requesting Iran from a serious musician is just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. Can I borrow what you're wearing? Why? Because I have an audition next week. I'm playing a serious firefighter. So you're an actress. I thought you looked familiar. Have I seen you in anything? Uh, the coffee shop on the Warner Brothers lot. That's a classic. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're a barista. And I can see how you could then look down on me from all the way up there. I'm done. Next set. He doesn't... I don't... He doesn't tell me what to do. He just told you what to I do. I know. He, I let him. What's your name? Mia. Mia. Guess I'll see you in the movies. Um, later on, uh, we're stuck with Carla, the world builder again, which I love that guy. I wish he was in it more. And uh, Emma Stone calls for uh, Sebastian George Michael to get her keys so that she can get away from this dude. And it's funny as Ryan Gosling forces her to say it very clearly, can you get me my keys so that she can leave? Uh, there's no hiding the ball. And uh, she says her keys are a Prius. We see there's like 29 Prius keys hanging on here, which is a funny little joke. But Ryan Gosling gets the right one after a second there. And, uh, you know, funny little thing. And then we get a huge one take, man. Not only is this next musical number a one take, but... Everything leading up to is a one-take as they walk up the hill and do some very classic dialogue. This is a really long one-take with a lot of things that could go wrong. The whole dance number being a one-take is enough, right? But then you got the whole scene and dialogue beforehand that leads into it, all in the same thing, where they're walking up a hill to find uh, Emma Stone's car, and she can't find it. 
And then we get a nice little singing in the rain moment as Ryan Gosling swings around uh, a, a light post. And we get our second, no, not our second, what am I saying? Our third musical number, A Lovely Night. Some other girl and would love this swirling sky But there's only you and I And we've got no shot You say there's nothing here Well, let's make something clear I think I'll be the one to make that call What's your call? And though you look so cute in your polyester suit It's wool You're right, I'd never fall for you at all And maybe this appears Very, very good one. The, the most iconic one, I would say, maybe. I mean, the, the freeway one's pretty strong, but this has, like, the Vista and the poster and everything, uh, where Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are saying, like, okay, this could never work in song. You know, like, this seems great, but it's it's not, it's just not meant to be. What a waste of a lovely night. As far as the song goes, I love it. Like, it's a, it's a nice little show tune at the beginning, but then it busts into some really great instrumental stuff to just watch them dance. Uh, and it's got, I, I think it's the best, like, Hollywood glamour routine because there's obviously a couple we've already seen too i think this is the best one in terms of very clean choreography with the poster helicopter arms i love that thing uh the sounds of like the the shoes on the street are just so satisfying i don't know why um the music is 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 for once unlike another day of sun i think this does have the broadway gravitas to it and uh the choreography like i said very slick very clean uh very fun the way they mimic and play off of each other um, the, the part where they're sitting on the bench is great too. And Ryan Gosling's kicking up dirt and he even times some stuff to the music with like wiggling his fingers. That's like kind of subtle detailing that I like. They slide around the bench. He does some tap dancing on the bench. It's just a really great musical number. And it's set against an amazing purple and orange and pink night sky with the valley below it. And it just looks great. I love it. Huge, very wide angles the whole time of just sitting back and watching this great thing. There's no hiding the ball that they really learned what they're doing. Like, there's no like cheap tricks to cheap editing or angles to mask it. Like, you know, as, as shaky cam is to fight scenes of masking bad choreography, there's no masking here. It's just like huge wide angles, and let's watch Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone dance, and it's pretty solid. I mean, all things considered, they dance pretty well, even though their singing is not all the way there at some points in 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 just the movie as a whole. I'd say their dancing is. Uh, but their romantic moment is broken up by Emma Stone's phone ringing. She finds the car. It's right there. Ryan Gosling 
uh, lets her go, and then walks all the way back down the hill. He said his car was right up ahead. It wasn't, so now we can see the signs of a true attachment. So after this, uh, quote, lovely night, uh, we follow uh, Emma Stone, who is going to work. She's at her coffee shop. Not a great day there. When uh, Seb, Sebastian, sneaks in and just kind of gets her out of there. It's time for another uh, Ryan Gosling Emma Stone meetup. Uh, and this scene that ensues on the kind of studio lot is another fairly exposition-heavy scene uh, establishing kind of the, um, the the connections between the two. We get a sense of Emma Stone's you know, acting experience and uh, ideas as they tour this studio lot, and she talks about these old movies she's seen and her home in, uh, in Boulder City, I want to say. And, uh, you know, it's, it's some solid dialogue here. Ryan Gosling is pretty funny in all of these kind of back-and-forth style scenes. Um, so is Emma Stone. But Ryan Gosling, I really think, does have kind of a gift for uh, kind of, like, witty banter. And I think that really shines in the nice guys, but it, it really does come through a lot in this movie, too. Um, but this whole scene passes as they tour the studio a lot. Square Emma Stone really loves this place. Uh, she talks about a TV show she's auditioning for with some great shots of them walking the studio a lot. You know, it's it's like a very classic like flirting scene where you're not really sure what's going to happen. And then uh, Emma Stone drops the bomb that she hates jazz. And, you know, that crushes our boy Ryan Gosling, who's like, okay, what are you doing right now? And they take off to a jazz club where we get some great shots of people playing instruments, drums, uh, trumpet. Uh, and Ryan Gosling just kind of shows uh, Emma Stone what jazz is about. It's about conflict. It's about um, inventing your own stuff. It's revolutionary. It's new every time, as he quotes. He's super excited about it. Uh, he's, he's like cheering. You get some shots of the instruments and the, the players a couple of times. Um, and then Ryan Gosling uh, really cheers when they, I, I do find it funny. He really cheers like enthusiastically when they finish. He's like one of the few people to do it. Uh, but it shows he has this deep respect for a traditionalist, pure jazz. But he says that it's dying, and that's when it's revealed that his goal is to open his own jazz club where they just play pure jazz whenever they want, however they want, with whoever they want. Uh, Emma Stone gets a call back after this, uh, and she's like talking about this TV show that's more like Rebel Without a Cause, which Ryan Gosling then quotes, and it is revealed that Emma Stone has never seen it, and we get the big propulsion into a relationship as Ryan Gosling says, hey, I'll take you to see Rebel Without a Cause. It's playing at the Rialto, and sure enough, they're going to go next Monday. Parting shot as they leave the Lighthouse Cafe is pretty beautiful as they walk separate ways, and then very beautiful is Ryan Gosling walking the dock uh, as City of Stars comes in. City of stars, are you shining just for me? City of stars, there's so much that I can't see. Who knows, is this the start of something wonderful He's whistling, he's walking along the purple skyline, he's flipping a hat, which looks pretty sweet, dances with some lady, 
it's a very short scene. Like I could have lived in this cool purple vista for a lot longer. I think it's a really well-established like empty dock with a few stragglers and the cool lights and stuff. And Ryan Gosling just walking, you know, whistling, talking about, uh, you know, uh, is this is this a a good idea? Is this something that's going to finally work out for me, or is it another quote dream that he cannot make true? City of Stars won Best Original Song. Uh, I think, you know, it's worth it. It was nominated alongside uh, Audition. I feel like Audition might be the more, like, vocally impressive song, but I feel like the melody of this is very strong. So I can see it winning. It's just very short. Like, this scene, for it being, like, you know, a thing that's always shown in the promotional stuff for this movie, is very brief. But, uh, you know, big whoop. Uh, Emma Stone shows up to another audition. She's finally got hope for this one. It's the callback one. They look at her information. She starts the very kind of corny dialogue. They immediately cut her off. And man, it's just brutal. Emma Stone can't catch a break. She leaves the studio. She's very frustrated. But then she drives by the theater where Rebel Without a Cause is playing, and a smile spreads back across her face. So I really like this. Is A theme that is really explored in this movie of is, is dreams. What price do we pay to pursue our dreams? Uh, what kind of side effects come with pursuing our dreams? Can we pursue our dreams and maintain our current lifestyle? That's all kind of explored in La La Land. Uh, it's really the main, you know, theme of the movie. And I think it's explored in these kind of subtle ways because you've got Emma Stone who just got crushed in even her callback. But then a smile spreads across her face because she's still got Sebastian. And so you're seeing how she's got to try and balance these two things. And at this point, it's more of a question that is posed of like, how can she? Uh, per se, because, I mean, she, her dreams are clearly not going too well, but she's got Sebastian here, and that's kind of just shown in this one car shot of frustrated, sees Rebel without a cause, not so frustrated, and you're seeing, okay, so there's kind of a trade-off here. Uh, then, however, we get another, like, oh, man, dang it, and this is this is an aspect of the movie that I feel like was kind of unnecessary, um, but that is uh, Emma Stone's back in her room, and uh, her boyfriend, Greg, comes in and is like, oh, you ready to go out to dinner tonight? And I feel like she forgot she even had Greg as a boyfriend, but also forgot that she had to go see uh, Greg and go to dinner with him and his brother that night. But it's kind of a weak aspect of the movie. It's really only used to like provide another, like, oh, are they really going to get together? I-, I-, I found it to be kind of unnecessary, but, you know, whatever. Um, so what happens is they go out to a fancy dinner that's just your classic, like, one-percenter conversation at, around the table that I find to be really funny of where they go honeymoon. They were considering Nicaragua, but it's a bit underdeveloped and talking about, like, all these other things. One word, Indonesia. And uh, we then flip back to Ryan Gosling staying outside the theater. He's, like, looking at the, the theater uh, sales, you know, ticket salesman, like, you know, I don't know, man. Looks like I'm getting stood up. As Emma Stone is like slowly like losing her mind at this dinner table, but then she hears Mia and Sebastian's theme playing over the loudspeakers. I guess it's probably you know maybe it's actually playing. It seems more symbolic than anything. Who cares? And she rushes out of dinner, and uh, you know poor Greg, man, Greg just gets the shaft right here, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, but either way, Emma Stone takes off and runs down the street in her high heels as the music. Uh, explodes and she uh, goes into the theater and just with a complete lack of uh, theater manners stands right in front of the screen and looks for Ryan Gosling who stands up like hey yo I'm right here Uh, holds no animosity towards her cool parallel here this is the start of the parallel I'll get back to in a second we see a clip from Rebel Without a a Cause where they're flying up to Griffith Park Observatory Uh, moment of you know deep sentimentality as they Uh, begin to hold hands and are about to kiss when the film reel burns out and uh, Ryan Gosling 
Ryan Gosling has this very funny, like, frustration face after this. Like, he slaps his knee and then, like, covers his mouth with his hand. And it's it's very, like, natural. Like It's like, oh, yeah, that's how you actually would behave. I, I, he really nails kind of those, like, subtle things. Like, when he's asking Emma Stone uh, if she wants to go see Rebel Without a Cause, like, the way he stutters in that sentence is, like, it, it really perfectly captures a lot of these things in real life. I, he's really good at these kind of subtle things. You know, just kind of a, a classic, like, oh, the protagonists almost kiss and everything's almost fine. Uh, but it's clear that they're in love. They get an idea, and this is the parallel. Like, you basically get the same shot of flying up to Griffith Park Observatory, but at night, as uh, they actually go to Griffith Park Observatory, they walk through with a very, very nice uh, bit of score. One of my favorite tracks of the movie is Planetarium. As they walk by Tesla coils and they waltz around a little balcony, they actually look in the observatory, uh, and all these shots are pretty clean in terms of their colors. Some cool shots of the you know constellations and stuff. And then uh, suddenly, as they're standing there, Ryan Gosling's handkerchief, which he comedically used to wipe off the handles to open up the observatory, uh, flies up into the air, and you're like, what the heck? And then suddenly, Emma Stone catapults into the air as the music crescendos, and it's awesome. Um, well, the, the music here is awesome, but the first time I saw this, another moment where I was like, seriously? I mean, it just seemed a little, a little corny to me. And honestly, this sequence still is a bit, like, a bit overdone, in my opinion. Like, it's a bit too much. I, I get the whole glamorizing old Hollywood and let's make this very artsy Hollywood tribute. It's very purposeful. It's not supposed to be, like, pretentious in any way, but it just seems a bit, like, too much, in my opinion. But it's it's okay. It's contrasted because, it, like, the start of this is them actually walking around in the observatory, like, in space. Just, like, actually prancing around and, like, holding each other and, like, embracing each other. But then we get one of my favorite shots, actually. Uh, I actually love part of this sequence is when Emma Stone's dress, like, flaps across the screen to provide a kind of cut-to-black transition. And then you just see their silhouettes twirling as we slowly... 
uh, zoom in on them and they're just waltzing along like straight uh, parallel, you know, just going along the screen towards like this planet. And that shot is just beautiful. Like not only the deep purples and stuff like that, but just their silhouettes like casually twirling, like really gracefully twirling. It's it's really, really cool. I really like this. And when they like, you know, Ryan Gosling lifts Emma Stone up and the purple comes in even more. I love that shot and the music it's set to. Like that piece of planetarium is perfect. So I, I really like the second half of this planetarium part. Not so much the first like flying through the clouds kind of strange overdoneness. But then they descend back into the planetarium. I really like the different iterations of the same melody with like different instruments in this track. It's really, it's really strong, and that's exemplified by when they return, uh, and you get this much more light ticking kind of version of the theme. Uh, and then they sit down and share a kiss, and it's like, yay, and the music crescendos, and we fade to black, and it's very much like, okay, peak of the glamorized Hollywood tribute. So I like the second half of that. Uh, you know, it's very artistic. You see it in all the La La Land promotional stuff. Pretty strong. All right, so cut to later. Emma Stone's writing a one-woman show, which is pretty cool. And Ryan Gosling honks at her to come out of her apartment. She's like, yeah, I guess this is how he's going to greet me every time. But it's just a funny running thing from the first time they met. Um, and then we uh, see them pull out. You know, they leave Emma Stone's apartment on a date and... Uh, take a right on a one-way street and find out it's one way and have to reverse as a truck like pushes towards them, which is pretty funny. And then super summer. And then we get the summer montage. Great music here, very like strong kind of jazz stuff. Uh, as we just get a montage of them exploring L.A., they're breaking the tapas and tunes sign of the Van Beek that Brian Gosling hates because it's not pure jazz. And uh, he, his sister is getting married, uh, a very, like, okay, whatever kind of portion. It's supposed to contrast, like, oh, is Sebastian ever going to find this love? But, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of an okay little parallel, but you really don't even notice it's his sister half the time because it's shown so briefly. But it is kind of a, a nice, you know, callback to the very beginning. But they ride a trolley. They're dancing around. Great, like, quick back-and-forth shot Damien Chazelle has here where um, – there's actually some cool behind-the-scenes footage of them doing it, but the cameraman shows Ryan Gosling playing the piano and then shows Emma Stone dancing to it, and, like, you're just quickly doing a 180 back and forth with, like, a smooth gloss-over effect, and it looks really cool. Uh, very fun little little shot here in the summer montage. Just shows that, you know, she's coming to like jazz, uh, and everybody's coming to like each other, and it's great. Then they sit down at this this bar, wherever they are, and none other than John Legend, uh, a.k.a. Keith, shows up, and it's clearly the guy that, uh, quote, shanghaied Ryan Gosling in the past. He's saying he's got a new band he's getting together. You know, it's been a while. We need some. We need somebody on keys. And Ryan Gosling straight up goes, no way, man. Are you serious? And John Legend's like, all right, dude, whatever you say. And he leaves. And John Legend seems pretty cool, man. I, he doesn't look like the kind of guy who really screwed Ryan Gosling over at some point, And they never really talk about it too much. It's clear that he just got replaced. Uh, that, that That's kind of like briefly hinted at. But it's not really a big thing. Then after that, uh, great colors in this next shot where we're in Emma Stone or Ryan Gosling's apartment. I think it's Emma Stone's like new apartment or something like that. Like she gets a new place. But it's like a great blue where Ryan Gosling standing is, and where Ryan Gosling is standing, and Emma Stone's standing in like this red. And she finishes her one woman show, and Ryan Gosling's like, "Yo, that was amazing." She's like, "I thought it was too nostalgic." And Ryan Gosling's like, now what are you talking about? This is perfect. And everything just seems perfect here because then Ryan Gosling is talking about his club, Chicken on a Stick, even though Emma Stone wants it to be called Seb's and has a cool logo for it. But it's clear uh, here that, 
you know, both of them have their dreams in mind. Ryan Gosling is waiting on his club because he needs to take over the Van Beek because they're, I think, sambaing all over 6th Street is something like the quote. Uh, but they're both like, all right, the play's going to be great, and the club will eventually be chicken on a stick and be awesome. And it's a very much like set up towards their dreams. Everything's going to be perfect. I think this is the height of their happiness, uh, really, the summer montage in this. Um, and then uh, we see Ryan Gossing in the morning, and Emma Stone is talking to someone on the phone saying, oh, you know, he's saving up money. He doesn't have a steady job, but he's he's going to get one. He's going to open his own club. I think she's talking to her mom or something, you can assume. Um, he's he's figuring it out. Random shot of, like, water stains on the ceiling. I, I feel like, A, it's kind of like, okay, what the heck? But, B, it's also, like, if you recall any time you're, like, just in deep concentration or... Like in those moments when you're you're sad or anything like that, and you're just kind of sitting there reflecting, you focus in on like these random things. Like I don't know, I, I it might just be me, but I have memories of like if I'm just like you know sitting there and just concentrating on one spot on the wall and just like studying that. I I don't know why it's just like a thing, but this is kind of the example of that. Him just like gazing up at this water stain on the ceiling like aimlessly while he's considering what Emma Stone is saying, and it's like pushing him to consider his own dreams. And it clearly does because uh, he then goes to John Legend and he's like, yeah, I guess I'll do this keys, uh, the keys for the messengers. And then he's really surprised when he finds out that he's going to get paid a lot. Uh, but then he sits down, he's playing the piano, uh, he's playing in the jazz band, and then they go into this crazy techno stuff and he sits up like, yo, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? I'm a pure jazz guy. He doesn't really like it. He does some quick stuff, you know, he's, he's doing his best. After that, John Legend's like, I know it's different, but, you know, you, you, traditional jazz is dying because of people like you. And he kind of scolds Ryan Gosling of him being at fault for their, their kind of falling out earlier on. Ryan Gosling's like, maybe so, uh, but, you know, unnecessary. It doesn't really matter. We then get City of Stars, the reprise duet between Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Strong singing here, um, all things considered, set against a really cool green wall of whoever's apartment this is. Where I will go Cause all that I need Is that crazy 
think I want it to stay. And they sing, you know, a slight City of Stars version, and it's pretty cool. And then we get a, a kind of montage of everything coming up, Mia and Seb. Uh, Seb signing contracts. Mia's quitting her job at the coffee shop and writing her one-woman play. Uh, Ryan Gosling's getting fitted for suits. Uh, Emma Stone's bought a theater for her show. And, you know, montages are actually used quite frequently in this movie. Um, but I, I think it's, it's fine to show their gradual progression towards their dreams. There's really not that many... Uh, effective methods to do that i mean it's a very it's it's a a passage of time that's like what are we going to do just skip to it so i'm fine with it and it's always set to cool music and has its own flares and colors to it so i think montages in this movie are actually used really well emma stone is moving in with ryan gosling i feel like is established somehow there's like a like she's folded up her stuff from when she was rooming with the three other ladies uh we see the messengers interview on youtube um, and, and Ryan Gosling, he, he just, like, is wearing this, like, turtleneck or something, and it, it just doesn't look like him, which is the funniest part. Like, it doesn't look like the, the Sebastian we've come to know, and it really isn't. We come to, you know, discuss that a little bit later. Um, we pass the Rialto, and I'm not sure if it's closed because it's the, the theater that Emma Stone is performing in, or if it's, like, a subtle foreshadowing of all of their good stuff is, you know, is kind of on the downward spiral. It's, like, gonna descend, uh, I think it's the second. I think it's I think it's the latter of those two. But I, I, if so, I think that's some some good foreshadowing, very brief foreshadowing. Um, and then we see another like a little emotional clip of you know uh, Emma Stone working on her play, going to bed. Ryan Gosling coming home late from his gigs, going to bed. Also waking up. City of Stars theme, I believe, is playing because then we fade back into them playing. City of Stars, which I think is a very, it's a very extended version of City of Stars, and I think it's the better version of City of Stars. It's pretty cool. Cut to uh, Ryan Gosling's first gig. Great shot of, like, all black, and then Ryan Gosling just in the spotlight playing the opening piano riff of whatever, uh, yeah, Start a Fire is the track. Uh, the track, you know, stands out in La La Land as being very unlike everything else. It's not a bad song. It's not my style, but, you know, okay. Uh, that shot's cool, because then also John Legend gets a spotlight, Emma Stone's illuminating the crowd. She's smiling. She's like, this is sweet. And then Ryan Gosling, like, he, like, shrugs and, like, raises his eyebrows in a funny little mannerism as then everything explodes into color life and techno pop. And Emma Stone's like, yo, what the? And I don't know how she doesn't know about this. We saw the YouTube video earlier. I feel like she would know that this is the kind of band he's in. But then we get the performance where Sebastian is, like, loved. Uh, I believe he might even be wearing, like, a really, like, kind of the outfit he's not used to. He's playing, like, a super techno keyboard um and it's clear that this is not the music he was so adamant about earlier and this is something that upon first viewing you might slowly consider but you're more like oh he's pursuing his dreams but in the in the in the following scenes we realize oh that's right he's really off track and i I think that's cool is it's not just coming out and saying yo he's kind of losing his way you're kind of seeing that on your own if you can pick up on it Abrupt cut to superimposed fall, and you're like, oh no, because it's like cut to black silence, and it says fall, and you're like, this is going to quite literally mean fall. Uh, Emma Stone sends out a bunch of emails for people to come to her one-woman show. She goes home. She's a bit upset because, you know, Sebastian's been on tour, um, and then is it is the dinner scene. You know, this might be the best scene in the movie. I, I'll talk about, you know, best and worst scene later on. But this scene is so strong. It really is so strong because it's it's uh it's it's just pure dialogue, pure close-ups. You don't really get a shot where both are in the frame. You're following each individually. 
as the scene progresses, we're also closer to the characters. It gets a little bit more intimate, a little bit more uh, emotionally attached. And just the dialogue here is very strong because it's not like it's it's very clear, like them talking about, hey, our dreams aren't working out or are they? You know, our relationship isn't working out or is it? It's a very like like it's a conversation about everything that's been up in the air at this point, where they stand where their dreams stand, do they enjoy what they're doing because Ryan Gosling is not doing pure jazz anymore. Uh, you know, all of that is very interesting. Are, is he ever going to open his club? Stuff like that. I, and, you know, is he ever going to stay home? It's it's really an argument spurred on by Ryan Gosling's decisions because Emma Stone's basically stayed on track to be an actress. She's just been failing along the way. Whereas Ryan Gosling is not so clear about what he wants necessarily or what he's going to pursue. But this scene is just very strong. The acting is great. The dynamic between the two that starts off as like kind of this formality conversation stuff and it turns into a bit of like, you know, a, a coldness, a little bit of, of bitterness that spirals into full on kind of anger. And then lastly, like total separation is a very, it's a very full arc of a scene. It's a very long scene too, That's it's, it's, but it's really, really gets you into it. I, I really like it amidst the very cool green curtain behind them also. What do you mean the long haul? I mean the long haul, like you're gonna stay in this band for a long time, on tour. I mean, what did you think I was gonna do? I don't, uh, I hadn't really thought it through. I didn't know that the band was You so didn't important. think it would be successful? Um, no, that's not really what I mean. I just mean that, you, you, I mean, you're gonna be on tour for what, months now, years? Yeah, I don't be, this is it. I mean, this is, it could feasibly be, yeah, for, I could be on tour with this for a couple of years at least, just this record. Do you like the music you're playing? I don't, I don't know what, what it matters. Well, it matters because if you're gonna give up your dream, I think it matters that you like what you're playing on the road for years. Do you like the music I'm playing? Yeah. I do. I just didn't think that you did. Yeah, well, you, you know, always said Keith is the worst, and now you're going to be on tour with him for years, so I just didn't. I don't know what, what are you doing. No, right if now? you were happy. Why are you doing this? I don't. <laughs> I thought you, you wanted me to do this. It just sounds like now you don't want me to do it. What do you mean I wanted you to do this? This is what you wanted from me to be in this band? To be in a band, to have a steady job, you know? To, to, to be. You know? Of course I wanted you to have a steady job so that you could take care of yourself and your life and you could start your club. Yeah, so I'm doing that, so I don't understand. Like, why aren't we celebrating? Why aren't you starting your club? You said yourself no one wants to go to that club. No one wants to go to a club called Chicken on a Stick. So change the name. Well, no one likes jazz. Not even you. I do like jazz now because and of you. And this is what I thought you wanted me to do. What am I supposed to do? Go back to playing Jingle Bells? I'm not saying that. I'm saying Scraping why do you so take I can start what you've made no and start the club? That people will want to go to it because you're passionate about it, and people love what other people are passionate about. You remind people of what. Uh, not they in my experience. Well, whatever. All right. I mean, it is. It's just. It's time to grow up. You know. I have a steady job. This is what I'm doing. And now all of a sudden, if you had these problems, I wish you would have said them earlier before I signed on the goddamn dotted line. I'm pointing out that you had a dream, that you followed, that you were sticking to. This is to. the dream. This is the dream. This is not Guys your dream. Guys like me work their whole lives to be in something that's successful, that people like. 
you know? I mean, I'm finally in something that 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 that, that people enjoy. Since when do you care about being matter. liked? Why do you care so much about being liked? You're an actress. What are you talking about? Maybe you just liked me when I was on my because it made you feel better about yourself. Are you kidding? No. Um, but just a very strong scene in terms of performance. Um, like I said, the dialogue is very clear, um, but it's also not like heavy-handed of like, oh, you haven't been pursuing your dream. Oh, well, that's because I have to learn to balance my dream with relationships and stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's like a very clean scene is a good way to put it i would say so yeah i really like that scene um it's broken up by the fact that you know they really kind of go too far ryan gosling crosses the line emma stone's really upset the record that they're listening to hits the end which is a bit of a trope and also uh the fire alarm goes off which is another trope and emma stone storms off and it's not looking too good after this very intense and very strong scene it's also a scene where, I've said this multiple times in multiple episodes, Damon Chazelle doesn't get too fancy with anything. He's just going clean back and forth. Look at Emma Stone, look at Ryan Gosling. It allows you to just get down to the, the point of this conversation. There's no flourishes, no unnecessary flourishes. Which is what I'm saying. There's kind of this turning point. It's really that kind of after the summer montage, like once we get into this almost fall, where the movie has taken a turn. It's about like the hour you know, 15 to hour 20 mark, um, where now the movie takes a much more serious turn from the glamorized Hollywood stuff to like a more you know, kind of almost a character study in a way. You're really just studying these two characters and their dynamic after that point. We see Emma Stone preparing for a show. Ryan Gosling is going to head out and go see it um, from the studio when John Legend's like, yo, don't forget about the photo shoot tonight. So we get a great little scene that's like, it's just the perfect length of Ryan Gosling just standing in an alleyway like, what do I do? Do I do this photo shoot or do I go see Mia's play after this kind of argument they had and I, I think it's a really just it conveys a lot without words of like him being at a total loss of what to do see Emma Stone getting ready to go uh, on stage and she does but then smash cut to the photographer who's a great side character who's like just I mean wanting to pose the messengers for some great pictures uh some and in great pictures I mean not so great pictures with Ryan Gosling I believe wearing a piano key necktie uh and biting his lip pushing his sunglasses down on his nose. And he has just this great look of, like, animosity towards this photographer. Like, what are you asking me to do? This is the dumbest thing ever. And, you know, a, a, a great scene of levity after the dinner scene and the upcoming sadness. Um, I, I just thought it was really funny watching this photographer. The photographer gives a pretty good performance, whoever he is. He's pretty funny. Um, but Ryan Gosling finishes the photo shoot, and he rushes out to go see Mia, uh, go see the show, potentially. He knows he's late, but by the way, before that, we had seen her show end, and she, uh, when she's taking a bow, she has this great look of mixture of like, yeah, I just finished, but also like, oh my god, nobody came, and included in that is Sebastian. Uh, there's a reserved seat that is completely empty, and it's very sad. So when he rushes off, they get to the outside of the theater, he sees her, and she's ticked off. She's like, I can't pay back the theater. She's heartbroken, uh, and she's mad at him still, and she says, you know, it's over. I'm going home to Boulder City, and he's just left on the curb in the purple light of whatever this theater is, which I think is not the Rialto. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. But yeah, great little like kind of follow-up to the dinner scene of seeing the fallout of that scene 
where they're still both mad at each other. The performances in this brief, like, 20-second scene are honestly just as strong as in the dinner scene. Like, a lot is conveyed in a very brief amount of time of, yeah, that argument was bad. All right, so we see Emma Stone arrive at her home. She hugs her parents. You see her room filled with old theater trophies and stuff like that. And this is just, you know, a very low point for the characters. Very sad. Ryan Gosling's playing at the, the engagement party of his sister, which, like I said, I love this track of him playing the piano in this very great sweeping pan shot at this engagement party. It's just a very brief way of showing Ryan Gosling back at his low. He's not playing with the messengers currently. He's just playing at this party, and he looks kind of upset. I believe we cut to black before we hear the phone ringing, and Ryan Gosling wakes up in, I believe, like I said, this is his apartment now. Uh, it's never really established. Uh, and he answers the phone, who's asking for Mia Dolan, and it's a casting director, and he's like, yo, what are you talking about? Cut to uh, Emma Stone's house, and another great running gag here is Ryan Gosling honking the horn outside of her house, and she's like, what in the world are you doing here? And he, <laughs> Ryan Gosling kills the scene, like, he's super, like, adamant about her going to this audition, and he's like, tell me why you aren't going, like, it's really funny when she refuses, she's like, I'm tired of losing, this is not meant for me, maybe acting something that I'm just one of those people that's not gonna be able to do it, so it's kind of a quick moment of, like, hey, shout out to all those people who want to be actors but can't, uh, kind of thing of, you know, keep going, there is that kind of theme explored in this movie of, you know, people who just need to be persistent, but, you know, it's just kind of done very quickly in this scene. And Emma Stone's like, yo, I'm not doing this. And Ryan Gosling's like, yes, you are. I'll be here tomorrow morning. And he drives away, figured out he found the house because it's the house in front of the library. So another nice call back to their scene on the studio. Shows up the next morning, gives her like three seconds, and then is like ticked because she's not coming clearly. Starts to pull off, has a look of giant, like, what am I doing? It's very funny because he starts to zip off when she's coming up with coffee, which I thought was funny. Uh, they then go to the audition, which Emma Stone is asked to just tell a story, and she's like, what are you talking about? By the way, the casting director went to her show. That's how she was discovered. Um, so then we get a great scene where all the lights dim. You just got a single spotlight on Emma Stone. And highlight of this before I talk about the song, personally, I love the camera movement of this scene. There's, it, It's like one continuous take. It could, it could mask a cut Birdman style, as I've mentioned before. But you start where the casting directors are, looking at the back of the casting director's hands, heads, and you pan in on Emma Stone as she starts to sing. She starts like kind of talk singing and then full on singing. So you pan straight into her, you get up close to her face. Then you do a full 360 around the back of her head and back to the front. And then you pan back out, back to the casting directors, and that is synced up to where the song ends. And I love that. It's just so clean. It gives it a nice dynamic thing of just not watching her sing, but it's not like multiple cuts. It's just a very smooth thing that, like, just, it, it makes her center stage. There's nothing distracting from the fact that this is her audition where she's just stripped down in this moment to tell a story. Everything else is stripped down. The lights, the flourishes Damon Chazelle has used before to just now panning around her. And it really gives this audition a lot of weight, but also a lot of pressure, I would think. Um, but it's cool. She sings. The song itself, very strong. Her singing, really, really solid in this scene. Uh, and I, I think this is a very, very strong scene as she sings the song Audition. Great vocals, tells a story to it, uh, and melody's fine. Not as memorable as some of the other ones, but it's still solid. Uh, and then cut to Griffith Park Observatory, where this is kind of the scene of where do we stand? And the answer to that is it's, it's, a, it's time to part ways. Emma Stone might get this part, and if she does, she's going to go to Paris for years. Uh, Ryan Gosling 
he's going to figure his own thing out. And they're saying, you know, he can't be holding her back and he's got to figure out things on his own. The one thing is this movie is very much pitched as two people pursue their dreams and almost get in the way of each other. That's like upon watching, that's what a lot of people have said. Ryan Gosling's character, Sebastian, is really the instigator of that, though, because Emma Stone, her dreams and her relationship with Seb, those two things never collide as much as Sebastian, you know, do I play this new music? Do I open a club? Do I do none of the above? That's the bigger conflict. But it is still, I, I mean, I, I think it's 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 easy to, to say both are doing that, but I think you can find a much cleaner uh, arc for Mia of, I want to be an actress, I work hard, and now I'm an actress. I think that's like that's very clean, whereas Sebastian is much more about figuring things out. So you got one arc about persistence and one about like really uh, trying different things almost and really thinking about what it is he wants. And that's kind of summed up in this scene that uh is is a, is strong acting between the two but they realize like you know we we can't we can't necessarily do this we both have our own things going and we can't get in the way of each other uh i like the <laughs> this this next shot uh, i think can be read a little deeper than it is you see a palm tree in the sky and it says winter again uh but then the wind comes in you realize you're looking at a like painted curtain of a palm tree and it's kind of uh a, a setup to what you're about to see of oh, everything is going to work out happily ever after because superimposed five years later. Uh, but then when the wind comes in, you see like, like, like how the wind comes in and you see the palm tree is fake, you realize that this future you're about to see is not quite what you hoped for or expected. Uh, so that's you know kind of summed up in one shot. But you do see, first of all, some great news. Emma Stone's famous now. She gets out of a car and she heads into the coffee shop she used to work at and she gets uh, on-the-house coffee from whoever's working there. We see Sebastian playing piano, signing some contracts. Apparently, uh, quote, he's doing pretty well for himself, but you don't know with what. Uh, you then see um, uh, Emma Stone drive into her house with another portrait of a Hollywood star. I think it's Edward Bergman again. I could be wrong. But she enters her super fancy house, and she sees her husband, who you pan over to see, is not Ryan Gosling. And man, like, I saw this, and I was like, yo, dang it. Like, I kind of, like, for a second when she walked in, I kind of saw it coming. I was like, you know, something's off here because it's just not going to work out, is it? But there was also the part of me that said, hey, she was just leaving the coffee shop and Ryan Gosling was just leaving wherever he was. Maybe they're going to go home and be together and it's going to be great. But no... He, she has a, a, a husband, and that's, if that wasn't crushing enough, she has a kid, so you realize Ryan Gosling is out of this picture. And that's further solidified by Ryan Gosling coming home and just in his single bachelor pad cooking, and you see the greeting card of his wife or his sister being married, and that just crushes you because, you know, he doesn't have that right now. He then walks down the city streets, and there's a massive portrait of emma stone on a movie poster and at this point all these shots are like just like solidifying like the defeat that these two aren't going to be together um and and they're kind of hot they're kind of hiding the ball on on the big reveal that's about to happen uh so kind of effective like five minutes where it's really just allowing the audience to deal with like the like almost the shock of what this movie has turned into to almost a tragedy of like oh they're not together that's kind of defying our expectations. Although there is a movie that did that first, and I hate all the people that say La La Land did it first. You're wrong. But then uh, we see uh, Emma Stone and her husband take off. They're going to go see something. They decide, let's go get dinner instead. They pull off the highway, and they find, you guessed it, Sebs. So not only has Sebastian achieved his dream, 
But also, it should be noted, something that's often overlooked, is he did name it Sebs and not Chicken on a Stick. So Mia is still very much a part of his dream, of helping him achieve his dream, um, just as he kind of uh, helped her uh, achieve hers, which now I've realized, I can kind of take back what I said about Emma Stone persistent, you know, just becoming an actress. She does almost give up. She does almost give up. But Ryan Gosling drives out to Boulder City and says, no, you must do it. Emma Stone with some great acting here also because she's very clearly shocked that Sebs exists. She then goes into the club and you see the bar stool that uh, Ryan Gosling owns that was from a famous musician is now like prominently displayed in this place. Uh, you see some play- some players up on the stage playing some jazz. And uh, then we see Ryan Gosling take the stage talking about all these players. And then he looks and he sees Mia and you're like, oh boy, like... This is just where it's getting real. And this is this is also the moment where I think Damon Chazelle really does a good job of holding you suspense because you could easily see like Ryan Gosling getting on the stage and then like, you know, some big breakdown happening or them meeting up and or immediately cutting to a conversation between the two. But instead he just sits down at the piano and you're like, Oh man, what is actually gonna happen here? Like you you are unsure. And then after a moment of deep silence that's like actually really intense because you're like, What is like this is crazy. Like this is actually a very uh well thought out ending in my opinion. The spotlight comes down on Ryan Gosling's two strands of hair again as he busts into me and Sebastian's theme, and the spotlight comes down on her again, emphasizing this connection they first had in the restaurant. And it's a very touching, like, callback of, oh, man, like, things didn't work out, but they still have this connection. Uh, That is furthered by our cut back to the restaurant with uh, Fletcher from Whiplash. And we see uh, the moment where Ryan Gosling's going to come and shoulder check Emma Stone. But no, they embrace each other and they kiss. And I love that moment. That moment just gave me so much joy of like, oh, yes. Because they they are doing it to the, you know, explosion of the music again. That's the best way to say it, I guess. And you're just like, hey, man, this is clearly a fantasy now. But it's still awesome. Like, you're like, this is what we wanted to happen. And now we get into the epilogue. I just heard you play, and I want to...
this sequence is fantastic. It's the sequence in which we see what could have been. And the thing about this is, what could have been is still not perfect. And that's what I love about this idea that Damon Chazelle conveys. There's not really a perfect future where both achieve their dreams and both are still together. It's much more of like a message on, yeah, you have to make sacrifices to do something, whether it's sacrificing your dreams to you know help or be with or live with someone else, or to pursue your dreams, you might have to sacrifice some of the things you love. And, and I think that's showed the reality of this movie is sacrificing the things you love for your dreams. And the fantasy of this movie is sacrificing your dreams for the ones you love. And there's not really a message on which one is better because both characters are happy at the end of each. There's a bit more of like retrospective like sadness, but still like emotional sentimentality in the reality at the very end of this movie. But I, I think Damon Chazelle kind of leaves that open-ended on like which is better, and he's more just explored the fact that you can't have it both ways. And I think that's an interesting message because a lot of these you know musicals or romantic movies in general – it's all happily ever after, but this does it in a way where you get much more of a message on dreams because if everything ended happily ever after, it'd just be a movie about like, yeah, go out, pursue your dreams, whereas this one is uh, is, is something that it, it gives the audience uh, a possibility to consider of what are our dreams really worth, you know, what do I have to do to go after them, and what are the things I'm going to have to give up, and it, it, it's a much more real take, I'd like to say. But again, back to the epilogue is a just awesome montage of like fantastic sequences. So they're in the restaurant, they're they're sharing a deep, passionate kiss, and then the um and and then all of the patrons of this restaurant start snapping to the Another Day of Sun theme, and it's fantastic. And Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling take each other in their arms, and they rush out of the restaurant. And even Fletcher from Whiplash gets in on the snapping, and then um. They rush through a house, uh, and it's like, oh my goodness, they're married, everything's great. Zoom in on some piano, and we're back in the in, in the club where Hermit's Habit, the original jazz theme, was played, where Ryan Gosling was telling Emma Stone about how awesome jazz is. And uh, my favorite part here is this bit that's on, I, it's almost kind of a hidden joke in this, is that we see me and Sebastian back at that same table where they first talked about jazz, and uh, and... John Le- and John Legend comes up and he's it's like it's it's all music so there's no dialogue here it's just all uh, instrumental stuff but he comes up and it's clear like when he asked Ryan Gosling like hey we need a band member and Ryan Gosling shrugs him off and, and John Legend just does like one of those classic like opens his arms wide like okay whatever you say man and and takes off the other way and it's actually kind of funny I don't know if that's what it's intended to be but it it, it seemed to me like a scene where it's it's like okay what would have happened now so like uh, they're together. Ryan Gosling would have turned down John Legend, and we're seeing all these big, uh, the big plot points of this movie, and we're saying, okay, what would have happened if it was the exact opposite? And I think that's really, really great. I think that's especially great because it gives extra importance to all those plot points from earlier and makes them a lot stronger of moments when you're seeing the different possibilities of them. Um, moments in the movie before that just like you might have seen as like the natural unfolding of the plot, you're now seeing how each of those decisions each character made really made a big impact on the future of that movie of like what like the fallout of these actions was very influential so i think that's that's really important to note is that you're you're seeing the other side of these decisions and now you're realizing how big these decisions really were and so in a way you could even see that the theme that is explored in this movie is the weight of every small decision and what they add up to even just through these things of okay, Ryan Gosling turns down John Legend. Okay, that means he doesn't miss Mia's one-act play. Okay, that means he doesn't uh, you know, go off on her in the dinner scene. And, and yeah, basically everything unfolds very happily after that. 
But the thing is, my idea of like Mia still getting acting no matter what at the end of the day is kind of solidified by this fantasy because in the end of this fantasy, she does become an actress. Just Ryan Gosling as her husband, not the other guy. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Is really, it's it's Sebastian who gives up his dream in the biggest way if he were to continue with Mia. So I think that's interesting. I don't think like that's a big deal. Um, I think I think both character arcs are meant to show the whole dreams versus you know things we have to give up kind of dynamic. But it is certainly uh, more present in Sebastian. Um, but back to the epilogue, we see Ryan Gosling not missing the one-act play, the one-act play that is now filled with people, and he's cheering. Uh, and then they you know, leave the stage, and you see this great white shot of like things syncing up to the music of like seeing a skyscraper and stuff. And it's very you, – you see Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling walk through like an old Hollywood set where you, there's another huge group of dancers all doing some choreography, and the music's great, and they're walking through like a Hollywood set. Then the casting director comes and takes Emma Stone. This is, again, all a big fantasy sequence montage if, if you're listening to this uh, and you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> I really do not recommend that. Uh, cut to a very, very cool artistic, like one of those classic, if you've ever seen the very classic um, paper cutout animations where you're just doing kind of shadow work. Um, you basically get that with Ryan Gosling in a waiting room separated by a wall from Mia who's doing her audition um, for the casting director. Uh, then the lights come up, up. The lights come up from this black and white, cool silhouette stuff, and you see like an Indiana Jones plane traveling over the globe. And we get some great shots of Paris and Mia being done up in makeup on a Parisian set, and it's awesome. And then a great silhouette of a trumpet player playing like a trumpet solo, and then cut back to Paris where Sebastian and Mia are walking through the street with a bunch of frozen people. And all of this is just very artistic of like, it's supposed to be like this dreamy surrealism of like everything would have turned out amazing between the two, uh, even though their dreams would have kind of gone by the wayside. They do like kind of the planetarium waltz through a like black starry uh, room. Uh, and then my, might be my favorite part of this sequence is when we get like a classic film uh, come in and the two sit in front and they're just their heads are shadows in front of this film that they're watching like an old classic black and white film as we get a variation on city of stars like a very subdued cool uh, version of it uh, and then they watch like an old like video um, of their future as a family we see they have a, a kid and they have a nice house and I love that little sequence where they just sit in front with the City of Stars theme playing. Cut to then them in the car like Emma Stone and her new husband were. And they go to a new club that is not Seb's. It's whatever that new guy's name is, I guess you could assume. And we see a pan shot around that new club as me and Sebastian's theme is played. But now Mia is holding on to Sebastian in this club, not her new husband. And everything's just fine and dandy until we cut back and it is Ryan Gosling at the piano still. And that's when you're suddenly taken out of this. And you're like, no, man, I want to go back, have a happy ending. But you realize that that is not what uh, Damien Chazelle wants us to have because uh, we finish the piano track. Mia looks like she's on the verge of tears. Great acting there. Uh, and they decide to leave. She stops before she gets to the end of Seb. She's illuminated in this great purple light. Again, colors, very strong in Lala Land. Turns around. Ryan Gosling's looking at her. And man, this moment is perfect. The, the length of, that it is played out for, as well as the subtlety of it, because Ryan Gosling slowly brings on a smile as he looks at Mia, and she does the same, because they realize both of them achieved their dreams, and they really couldn't have done it without the other, but they also couldn't have done it if they were together the whole time, as that epilogue just showed. And so I think that's a very, like, this final moment is very impactful, like, sealing the envelope of, yeah, there are things you have to give up for your dreams if you want it the other way around. 
it's just that the other way around. I, I think Damien Chazelle really wants to say you can't have it both ways, but it's up to you, audience member, to decide which is to be preferred. In this case, we're seeing two people achieve their dreams, which is, uh, I think, perfect for this because it is what La La Land, what L.A. is uh, is often seen as and, and can really be for a lot of people. Um, but then, yeah, so we get this great moment of, of them smiling, and it's a very, like, it's, it's, it's an earned moment for sure. Uh, then Ryan Gosling turns back to his piano uh, starts up the music again, except it's silent, and uh, the, the the fade comes in, and then boom, superimpose the end over an LA skyline with like a grand finale music, and man, it's great. I love that ending. Like it, it, the ending in two senses. The epilogue is beautiful. It flows very nicely. Um, it's very creative, and the music is perfect. And then these this kind of final final smile, like I said, is very much earned. Uh, it's very much an acknowledgement of man, we couldn't have done this without each other. And here we are. Look at us. And then that is La La Land. That's it. I've just done the Sporeful section. It's always a rewarding feeling to finish the Sporeful sections. Usually a long time. Uh, yeah. Uh, which means it's time to go into the kind of end summary of the Sporeful section. Total analysis. So, plot itself. Uh, fairly realistic. Not a whole lot of like coincidences. I mentioned there's kind of two with the pool party and the, the stuff at the beginning. Not a big deal. It's, a, it's an enjoyable plot of watching the balance between dreams and, uh, and you know, things we hold close to us. Um, and and I, I think that's a great dynamic to watch, especially on second viewing. You pick up on that a lot more. Uh, so it's, it's a strong plot. It's a very straightforward plot of, hey, let's pursue our dreams. But it's done with a lot of unique flares of production design, cinematography, great music, and really strong performances. And I think, like, kind of the idea of, you know, you could take this, this general arc and apply it to a lot of things, but bringing it into the Hollywood aspect makes it uh, just it makes it very fun. It makes it very enjoyable to watch, and everything really pops off the screen. As far as character arcs go, I maybe have already talked about this before. These are really strong character arcs because both characters are treated very equally in terms of like studying them as a character. A lot of times in two person movies, there's clearly one that's favored to be like all right, like like let's watch this guy and, and watch how they explore the theme. But both really deal with the themes differently, and both do it in a very fleshed-out manner where they're kind of interweaving, as I've mentioned. Uh, so the character arc is very strong. I think if you, if you are someone who likes screenwriting, um, this would be a really good example of, hey, I want to write a movie where just it's two very straightforward character arcs um, towards success, but also with like a one key character dynamic through the whole uh, film. I think it's it's really strong. It's very clean. You could read this screenplay and probably learn a lot about how to develop a character independently, but still have a dynamic and a, and a strong plot all the while without going overboard in any one way. Uh, so again, I, I really like the character arcs of this. They're they're very clean and they're well developed. And again, they have a message. They have a theme, which I've really talked about a lot already. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip talking about themes. I spent a lot of time talking about that in the epilogue. Uh, you you know what they are. As far as like themes, motifs, all that kind of you know fancy AP lit stuff, uh, the there you know you could maybe say obviously jazz is very much a motif as well as old Hollywood stuff. But I think those are more vehicles for the message than you know trying to impart some sort of uh, grand statement. Although uh, Hollywood is definitely glorified in a lot of ways. There's really not a whole lot of downsides to Hollywood in this movie. Like, you know, there's a lot of, like, there's usually in movies about Hollywood, there's also aspects of Hollywood where you see the machine side of it and how it eats up people. Really, it's it's shown in a a favorable light throughout this whole movie. So, you know, I guess that's for you to decide if you enjoy or not. 
Favorite scene shot line. Favorite scene, I'm going to I'm gonna call the epilogue a scene. Even though it's a sequence, it's just so awesome. It's beautiful. It flows perfectly. It crushes you as a viewer. It also poses a lot of questions as a viewer of, you know, again, these themes that I've talked about at length. Um, I, I, I'll call that my favorite scene. If you want to get more technical and I got to really select a scene, it's probably the dinner scene where they argue a lot. Favorite shot. I'm going to say favorite shot is that second part of the planetarium sequence. Uh, where they're just twirling and they're just silhouettes and they're going horizontal across the screen, the screen and it's not like the cloudy part of the planetarium sequence. It's just the stars and the purple. Love that shot. It's great. Uh, and it's like a one long dolly in too, so it's great. Favorite line? Not much to you know really pull here. I pulled that a lot more for comedy movies. Nothing really stands out. I'm sure I could pick something if I really, really thought about it. But uh, I'm not going to. Although I do like the thing about requesting Iran from a serious musician. That's pretty solid. Okay, least favorite scenes. This would have been interesting to ask me after watching this movie once and like a day after watching it. When my impression of this movie was as like mediocre. It hadn't bumped up to a nine uh, at first. There's just like, I think the first half of this movie, the old Hollywood stuff, is like very 50-50 for me. Some days I'll watch it and I'm like, yo, this is actually pretty great. And some days I'll watch it and be like, man, this I don't like this that much. So if I really had to pick a least favorite scene it'd probably be someone in the crowd i think that the the music itself has really grown on me i love the instrumental section of that song but i mean it that's the most hollywoodized part of this movie even though i said a lovely night is like the grandest tribute it's a very stripped down tribute of just two people dancing on a street whereas this has the dresses and the like even the superimposed images of like you know champagne and stuff like that and that was a bit too much for me of like okay let's just praise hollywood and and have not a ton of relevance to anything right now let's just praise hollywood that was like when i was like eh, i don't know um least favorite shot and line nothing to say here uh which brings us to the end then that's it that's la la land that is everything this episode took way longer than it should have i don't know how long this episode is going to actually be in post but i mean like i spent weeks on this episode when I really (laughs) shouldn't have needed to. Uh, So that's why I want to apologize now. Uh, It's probably been a while since I've had an episode at this point. Uh, And I got to edit this as I say this. But uh, that's La La Land. I really enjoyed talking about this um, because there's a lot of movies like this that I just, there are movies that have, uh, I don't know, you might say endings that should be definitely talked about, styles that should be talked about, performances that should be talking about, that should be talked about. This movie has all three it also has the music, of course, and so uh, it's 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 definitely a very strong movie. Not everything in this movie is my cup of tea, but the things that are my cup of tea way make up for it, which is why I have a nine for this movie. Um, so that's it, La La Land, directed by Damon Chazelle, starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and it's a pretty great movie. Uh, so that brings us to the end summary. That's it. Thank you for listening to Cine Study. Uh, if you liked this episode or any episode or the show in general, feel free, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you know, you can leave stars, comments, whatever. Um, but also feel free to leave us reviews in the form of Instagram comments and also emailing us. So, uh, because I, I really like to see other people's reactions to movies. And if you leave a review for a movie like this, if you were to leave your brief thoughts on La La Land, I will definitely read it in one of the future episodes, like 100%. So, you know, feel free to do that if you would like to chip in, and I'll respond to your comments with my own reactions, and uh, that's always fun because, as I mentioned before, at the end of the day, uh, I really want to talk about these movies with other people. That's why I have co-hosts, but they can't always be here, so that's why we're here. So I mentioned all these places you can leave reviews. So you can follow us on Facebook at Cinestudy Podcast. Join our film discussion listener group if you would like to. It's not really something that has gotten off the ground 
Uh, but, it, you know, might as well. Uh, you can email us at cinestudypodcast at gmail.com. That's the biggest place where you can leave your full-on reviews if you'd like, and I will definitely check them out. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. That's the big place where we update you on episodes and stuff. Uh, that is at Cinestudy Podcast, and that is where you can also leave reviews. Occasionally, I'll post like polls and stuff about other movies, just random movies that I'm not currently doing an episode about, just to see what you guys think about things I have just watched uh, or just movies in general. And new to this episode uh, at this point uh, is follow me on Letterboxd at Film Dylan. This is the biggest thing I want to mention right now because. I leave my ratings for every movie I see basically as I see them on Letterboxd now. And it allows you to go back, see ratings from movies I've briefly mentioned in passing, movies that you really like and you want to see if I watch them, and if so, what did I think? Um, a lot of these movies, of course, I will do episodes on in the future, mini, mini reviews or extended analysis or any sort of free-form thing that might come up. I also want to mention, um, I consider doing this in a different episode, but let me just say it now at the end if you've gotten this far. Um, because it's really just kind of a minor thing. I think my Pixar list changed, um, and this is something that I... So I mentioned in the Pixar, the Pixar ranking list that I want to have a definitive list of all the Pixar movies of what I think. But then occasionally I'll go back and read these lists, and I'm like, yeah, what was I thinking putting this here? And so I have maybe changed those things. I don't even know like if my current episode of the Pixar rankings matches up with what I have on Letterboxd, because if you go on Letterboxd at Film Dylan, you'll see my Pixar rankings. So there might be a, a bit of like, you know, there might be some differences between the two. Um, and I'm not going to try and make up for that by making an episode every time I say, hey, I'm moving this to number three on my Pixar list or anything like that. I will just do it on Letterboxd and you can just check in if you ever really want to know what I think about where every Pixar movie should be ranked, because it's not that big of a deal. Uh, if I make a couple changes, you know, you can just go back and look at it because it matters more when you first see it or hear it. You, I mean, if you want to see every time it changes, that's what Letterbox is for. I'm not going to try and make an episode for that. All right, so that's it. Uh, you know, I, 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 if you really liked this podcast, as I mentioned, you can leave a review. But also, please uh, don't be afraid to share the show. We really appreciate all the work a lot of you have done in helping us get our show out there, whether it's just through following and liking and commenting or even, you know, telling us, uh, you know, telling others about us or leaving reviews or anything like that. We really do appreciate it because, uh, you know, just would really like to get this podcast going, keep it up and keep it, keep it going forward because it's been a lot of fun so far. And, uh, I mentioned like on and off of, oh yeah, I should have more time now to do episodes. And now you know that I really can't say that with any amount of certainty because it's been a huge amount of time between this and the episode before this. So, uh, I, I apologize for the inconsistency in episodes. There will be a point where we'll be consistent. I can say that because there's a certain point that I know then I'll be able to be consistent. Now's not that time. So we'll see uh, when that comes around, but that's all I can say right now. So signing off, uh, we got upcoming episodes. Not much on the table right now. I'll probably just pick another movie to work on an extended analysis episode on. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening to Cinestudy, La La Land, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Cinestudy. Thank you.